Hello everybody, it's Jack here, your host as always, to give you a quick little update on the next few weeks of Sequelizers. I'm in the process of moving house, Tim's work schedule is super busy, and Matt is going on holiday. No points for guessing where he's going. But for the next seven episodes, that's every Tuesday from the 14th of March 2023 until Tuesday the 25th of April 2023, we will be releasing some previously Patreon-exclusive episodes on the public podcast feed. In the words of John Hammond, we've spared no expense. So these episodes are full inter-season episodes. I know we say this a lot on the show, that the Patreon-exclusive stuff isn't a half arse, isn't anything like that. We mean it, and you're going to see what we mean, because the topics we cover range from everything from black and white films to food and censorship and even the scariest moments in movie history, which was a very interesting discussion, to say the least. These episodes were recorded over the last three years, ranging all the way back to May 2020, because if you remember those times, all the way through to August 2022. And yes, that does mean some of them were recorded remotely during lockdowns, so please do bear in mind if the audio kind of shifts around a bit and we sound slightly different because we were getting adjusted to recording remotely and all that kind of stuff. Don't worry though, we will return with brand new episodes in the form of Season 12 aka Requalizers, on the 2nd of May 2023. That also happens to be the 6th anniversary of episode 1 of Sequelizers, so that actually, kind of accidentally, worked out perfectly. So, like I said, we will be back with Requalizers, which is season 12, on the 2nd of May 2023, also our 6th anniversary. Thank you so much for your support, whether you've been listening since day 1, episode 1, or if this is your first ever episode, hello, welcome, we don't usually do this, but enjoy nonetheless. Thank you for your understanding, and I can't wait for you to hear what we've been planning and what we've been up to for Equalizers. See you all in May, and until then, enjoy the show. by everybody i mean hello patrons how are you thank you for supporting us this is our first patreon exclusive episode of this interseason and it's a real interesting one it's a it's a doozy i'm excited to get stuck into it but before we get stuck into it i am of course your host but if you're on patreon you probably know who we are by now i feel like we don't need to do intros but i will for the sake of traditionalism i guess (laughs) i am still your host jack chambers and joining me as always is matthew stogden I do what I do, and I make a lot of money. And I don't give a shit what I do to people, because they're all idiots. Especially you, Jack, you pig fucking hunk of shit. (laughs) (laughs) None of that is true. A little behind the curtain (laughs) for for you folks. Uh, Matt does his usual thing of working out a quote minutes before we go (laughs) and start recording. And he was scrolling through his phone. And he had a little silent giggle to himself. <laughs> and I looked at Tim and I said, uh-oh, Tim, Matt's found something. And now we know, Matthew. <laughs> yeah, now we know. <laughs> and now we know. And speaking of Tim, it's Tim. Now you listen close and you listen hard, bucko. The next click you hear is me hanging up. The one after that is me sequelizing your movie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, nicely so done. aggressive. Tim. Nicely done. Compared to you. I meant both of us. Oh, okay, okay. 
Collectively. Yeah, yeah, so sure. Aggressive. sure. Very aggressive. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk about films within films. What that means, some good examples of it, and all the fun stuff that goes around it. It's a weird topic. It's an unusual topic. I don't think yeah. I've ever heard... We're going meta. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a YouTube channel or a podcast (laughs) or anything particularly talk about this topic in any sort of depth or discussion that I can think of. I'm pretty sure Patrick H. Williams did at one point. I'm I'm sure I'm sure there is one, yeah. But but not a lot of people have, because Mm. although it is prolific, it's one of those things... I really underestimated how many and how often it happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's one of those things when whenever you shine a light on certain things or somebody says, or brings something to your attention or makes you aware of something, Suddenly, you can't not see it. To to mm. call back to Constantine, um, you know, once <laughs> once yeah. you see them, they say you kind of thing. So the idea, like when we talked about the um, another Patreon exclusive one about food, and you're like, when you if you stop and think about food in film and think you have to cook that, put it on there, it has to be replaced for continuity. It's like, why would you ever bother mm-hmm. with food in a movie? Yeah. And I was perfect example of that. I'm like, oh, mm. what are your favorite films in food? Favorite films in food. Favorite food and films. I was like, I don't know, whatever. I've never really thought about it. And yeah. Matthew was like, what? <laughs> How have you not ever you thought not? of that? How can you ignore that? Mm-hmm. And once we started talking about it, I was like, oh, yeah, there is a lot of food in films all the time. Yeah. Whether it's like an obligatory, like Birds of Prey style, this is my favorite sandwich, like mm-hmm. actually talking about it. Mm. Or they're just sitting down to have a meal and like mm. there's some bit of storytelling and what the different characters are eating here and all that kind of stuff. And mm. yeah. I will touch on that later on in one of my picks. In one of these films, there is oh. food heavy there and then mm. there ha- also has a film within a film. So Yeah. So yeah. the same principle here whereby it's a thing you don't realize, as Jack mentioned, it's everywhere. And yeah. obviously this isn't just film, this is TV as well, but movie specifically. Um be they animated or mm. be they live action um, because it is a conscious choice and we should talk about what, what we mean by films within films in case anyone's a little bit lost or confused because it sounds like it's a very complicated and it's, it's not mm. it's basically whenever someone is watching a movie inside of a movie that doesn't actually exist yeah. straightforward yeah. as that yeah now well not even necessarily watching a movie because mm. there's also Making, making a movie yeah. and that's the separation yeah there are there are things whereby it's uh we'll give obviously plenty of examples as we go through um films that are finished and have nothing to do seemingly nothing to do with the movie itself and the characters mm. and it's like oh but it just happens to be on the background it's like oh mm. they're all gonna go see that new film whatever the fuck it is mm. and you don't want to reference a real film so you concoct a thing you draw up a poster mm. you draw up a yeah trailer. you get the funny yeah. little references like yeah. Oh, it's Back to the Future, and it's a big 3D shark for mm. the new Jaws movie. Jaws 19. Isn't that? Yeah, yeah. Jaws yeah. 19. Isn't yeah. that hilarious? And stuff. You have, it's like, I mm. am legend, and you come up with a film like that would never possibly exist, like Batman versus Superman. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. Oh, they were only off God. by a couple of years. But yeah. then it's also Warner Brothers, and they're like, I think the only one stopping you doing this is you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then also you have films about the film industry or mm. someone who's got a character who uh, is associated with the film industry and the film has been made. Oh my God, they're shooting that over there. Mm. And you see, you never see the final film or you may never see the rest of it, but it just alludes to a fake project. And yeah. it's usually a surprising celebrity cameo. You go, oh shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Because Hollywood loves to disappear up its own asshole. <laughs> so there's a <laughs> lot the of films out there about Mm. actors or directors or screenwriters or all of the above all just the (laughs) film industry in general yeah and even like there happens a lot in comedies as we'll touch on 
And I've talked about this in my cameos thing we did before. Mm. Like the Austin Powers film that they're making at the beginning of Goldmember yes. mm. is an Austin Powers movie that never existed, but is just an excuse to have a bunch of cameos mm. and like, oh, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg, isn't that hilarious? Blah, mm. blah. Couldn't get them for Mortal Kombat. We've got them for Austin Powers <laughs> yeah. instead. Yeah. And it's like, that counts. That's a film being made mm, in that, that film yeah. for our category, mm. but it's just an excuse. It's It's a joke. Yeah, it's a, it's a one like, yeah. oh, look, Danny DeVito. Hilarious. Mm. Oh, come spicy. Oh, well, as well. And it, it's fascinating because if we just talk for a second about the, the, the effort that goes behind making these things mm. and how much it takes to make a movie in general, mm-hmm. uh, the amount of time and organization and scheduling and negotiation and pay and per diem and all those bits and pieces and the locations. And I'm, not, I'm building this for a reason here because it's expensive to make a movie. So why would you make another movie within that? And I don't mean just like the idea of like, oh, we're making the exact same movie. We can source the same actors. No, 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 no. A lot of the time to separate itself. They went and got Steven Spielberg, Tom Cruise, Danny DeVito, Kevin Mm -hmm. Spacey, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Even for cameos. Essentially in the same room for what? Two minutes of footage, four minutes of footage, whatever it is. Just to run through a few examples here, just in case people are thinking, I can't really think of any. I'm just going to literally just rip through some words here. Mm. But none of the ones we're picking later, so don't worry. Um, so in the film Adaptation with Nicolas Cage, they're making a film called The Orchid Thief, which is an adaptation mm-hmm. of a book. Uh, in The Artist, the... Well, and there's also uh, his brother's film oh, yeah. that's about, what is it, a killer, a cop, and a something else, yes. and they're all the, the same person. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, which doubles down on the whole method, of meaning of the what's going on behind the scenes of the film itself. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the Artist, the silent film, the one best... Picture, if I remember correctly, did we? Did, did, did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, a film's called A Russian Affair, and there are actually a lot of films that are referenced in that. Well, movie. yeah, it's because it's again one about of these the films system. that's about the movie industry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the Big Lebowski, they reference uh, the porn log jamming. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that Bunny Lebowski stars in. Yeah, uh, Boogie Nights obviously has got tons of them because again, that's about making yeah. movies yeah. And, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. Um, there's a film in the 1945. Uh, romantic film Brief Encounter called Flames of Passion. That's again just an irrelevant thing keeps being brought up. Um, I'm not going to start talking about clerks because we'll come back to that probably. Because <laughs> and also Jay and Silent Bob straight back. There's a lot of yeah. things. Yeah, like you've got the uh, the Goodwill Hunting <laughs> too. And the, <laughs> yeah, so sort of alluding to real things but not. And then you have Blunt Man and Chronic, which again not a real thing at all. Mm. But yeah. And reboot, they're making a reboot. Don't forget reboot that ninety three percent on Rotten Tomatoes film. <laughs> please, please, Jack, please. Never let it go. Never let it go. Never go to the post. Never office. go to the post office again. <laughs> Patrons won't know what we're talking Patrons about. Patrons don't get that. Yeah. I might leave it in because I'm lazy. Um, Crocodile Dundee three has Lethal Agent three. Obviously, <laughs> allusion to the Lisa Weapon films. It's like what the fuck. Um, Anything to do with Entourage, we're not going to discuss. Nope. <laughs> we uh, refuse. No. Nope. Um, they're making the film Crash Course on The Exorcist. Remember what I mean? um, And The Holiday, which uh, is the Christmas movie the, with Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz, Jude Law, and Kate Winslet, 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 Jack Black. Yeah, Jack Black yeah. She works in the, she works in the um, what do you call it, the um, trailer industry. Where she makes trailers and so oh, she right. dictates her narrative in certain ways. And there's a, a, a sort of action film, which is very early 2000s style, Born esque ripoff kind of thing mm. with James Franco and Lindsay Lohan. And it's cut really <laughs> well. And it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, and there are tons of other examples, obviously. Uh, I mean, again, Last Action Hero is a fantastic one with Hamlet mm. and 
and to be fair, well, Ham actually, Hamlet's a dream sequence because it it's uh, the kids watching Hamlet in school, and he just starts mm. thinking, "This would be better if mm. the character of Jack Slater was involved." Well, mm. well the actor, whatever. Yeah, but the Jack Slater movies, yeah. are and even within that, you have the version of Terminator that starred Sylvester Stallone. Stallone. Yeah, exactly. Which you don't ever see. You just see the post. Well, not even the poster. It's a, it's a cutout. cutout. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, but he's, the, he, he's a great actor. It's like yeah. what the fuck? Yeah, insane. Um, yeah. Singing in the Rain is another good example. So that's mm. a people create as a film about making movie films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the Julian Cavalier yeah. and things. Uh, Funny People is a great Funny one. Funny People is the, that's You've a got real those, setup of Sandler. Yeah, Adam yeah. Sandler fake ones. Yeah, um, and uh, you just saying the bedtime stories as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it, um, it, it's kind of kind of endless. Yeah, the, the Three so, yeah. Amigos is even a silent film called you know the about Three yeah. Amigos the serial stuff. There's so much stuff. You can't not see it. If you'd mm. like to have a browse at some of them listeners, there is a fantastic, weird little website there. Yeah. We mm. talked about on the Discord when it was kind of first created and programmed yeah, about it, it, 18 mm. months or so ago. It, yeah, it had a, a viral moment on Twitter. You very much did, yeah. Looking at it. Uh, it's Nestflix, as in Bird's Nest. We'll put a link in the show notes for mm. you. Nestflix.fun is all of the shows within shows and films within films and films within shows and shows within films. Yeah, which is insane. All combined in a like big Netflixy style hodgepodge thing. That you can actually search yeah. and you can search the name of the fictional thing within the thing or the thing that is hosting the fictional thing. <laughs> so for example, I can search The Holiday and find out that film was called Deception. Oh, there we go. There Rebecca we go. Green was just your average 20-year-old until the father she never knew left her something <laughs> she never knew left her something she never expected. And the quote oh, is, damn. how do you happen to have two guns? <laughs> Starring Lindsay Lohan and James Franco, as seen in The Holiday. There yeah. you go. And that's yeah. the thing, because it's like The Holiday is already a romantic comedy. It's set in both Britain and America. That's a huge production. Mm. And they're like, should we get the time to shoot a mini action film? And mm. as it's weird, I, I've done this years ago, oddly enough. Someone said, can you shoot a trailer for a thing they were working on for a school project, or like a mm. uni thing? And I said, I mean... I'll probably just shoot a short film and then you can make a trailer out of the footage if you want. And he said, yeah, right. Um, because um, I, called it, I called it Angel's Kiss. Um, because um, he wants like a noir style feeling. Mm. I want different trailers to give different, evoke different feelings. And I thought, if I'm shooting this thing anyway and I'm shooting these random scenes, I might as well shoot the additional tiny bit extra to make this like a six minute short film mm. rather than a two minute trailer. And give it actual purpose because you still have to write this idea of what a film might be. Yeah, the characters, who they are, the sort of setting, the the general tropes. Mm. And this is where we get into the weird aspect of what you're filming. There's the side of it which is this film is going to get made. Hail mm. Caesar! It's the mm. it's a Coen Brothers film about them making this movie, mm. and the lead actor gets kidnapped and by a bunch of communists, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you don't need to see the finished version of the film. You don't need to see a trailer for the film. Mm. You don't need to see a poster for the film because you know they're making the film. You can mm. see the big sets and all the things that have been designed yeah. for it. That's cool. But there are other movies that are referenced in films and shown as either a clip or a trailer or something. Yeah. And then it's like, well, you have to write a whole scene and shoot a whole scene. And usually, mm. as I said before, it's usually an, uh, uh, a different genre to disconnect it from what you're watching. Mm. Yeah, if it, it it's often used as as some form of commentary. That's, like there's yeah. quite a few romantic comedies 
that have other romantic comedies within them. <laughs> um, we were saying uh, stuff like, and I can't remember if it's No Strings Attached or Friends with Benefits. Mm-hmm. One of the, the the two that came out were you know one of these identical dueling, twin movies, dueling films. Yeah, um, where you know it was like, oh, we're a we're a rom com, but we're not like one of these traditional rom coms because it's just about the fucking and oh no, they've mm. fallen in love. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Um, uh, it, it's in Friends with Benefits. It's called. I love you. I love New York. <laughs> there it stars okay, Jason hell. Siegel and Rashida Jones, and the yeah. tagline is "Opposites attract when Bryce and Madison begin a whirlwind romance." It's a story of the Big Apple and big romantic gestures. Yeah, um, looks like New York is all out of blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah, I I remember, I quite like that film, but it that part of it looks very cheap. Um. Mm-hmm. You can tell they shot that very quickly. But it, yeah, it's commenting on the idea of like, oh, here's this traditional rom-com and we're like a little bit edgier. And then you have the one in Burn After Reading as well, where yes. it's Frances McDormand keeps taking all of her dates there because she's using it to almost like, this is her ideal version of romance and she's using yeah. it to like it's assess a litmus them. test. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that is coming up Daisy. There we go. <laughs> Star- <laughs> Starring Claire Danes and Dermot Mulrooney, directed by Sam Raimi. Will yeah. you come down from there? <laughs> Based on the best-selling book by Cormac McCarthy. McCarthy. <laughs> Gets me ever- as a huge Cormac McCarthy fan. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> Daisy finds herself unable to commit over and over and over. And would you come down from there? Mm-hmm. Is the phrase? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Ridiculous. And but then, as you say, it's not just this thing they happen to be seeing. Mm. It's the fact that um, it adds world building for that character. Yeah. It's, 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 oh, it's a, it's a world with, you know, similar to ours, but it's also, this is a world in which people are fucking stupid and <laughs> privacy is everything and no one knows what they're doing with it and everyone is a bumbling idiot mm. um, with seemingly the best intentions, but really the worst intentions. Um, and yet, this character simply want someone who has a connection with them and has chemistry and things like that. Even though there's someone right under her nose who, who's like Richard Jenkins and that yeah. is really, really nice. But she doesn't give a shit. She's not interested in him like that. Yeah. Um, but she just feels, ah, if we have this shared element, mm. then everything will be fine. I, I will know. It's, it's the classic mm. sort of old wives' tales like, oh, well, if he meets the family dog and the dog likes him, he's a mm. keeper, that kind of shit. But it's, <laughs> it's shorthand. Mm. And much of this, I like with the food thing. It's shorthand for ah, the first date didn't go well. It's even shot the exact same way. Yep. So you, yeah. and, and the same scene plays in again, and she looks at him, see if he's laughing, and then laughs along hysterically with George Clooney. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. It is another storytelling device. Mm. It's not just that, and it is the thing you have to remember when you when watching a film. People, we talk about the critical mind coming online and stuff like that. The idea that when you're watching a movie, you just enjoy it, and then suddenly you go, actually, I can't separate myself from seeing that this should be a better movie because it's more expensive, mm. because there's a lot more time and effort put into it, because mm. these actors are of such a caliber, they shouldn't be giving a bad performance, etc., etc. Mm. And then you're like, why did you choose to make another little movie <laughs> in your movie? That's time and money and mm. effort. There must be some that's, reason here. That's the thing that, you know, the, to, to, for, for most films, everything on the screen is intentional. That's yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. And so you've you've always got to think like, why did they choose to make to show this particular thing? And sometimes, if it's a bad film, 
the idea is like, well, they just weren't thinking, really. <laughs> yes. But 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 for something like this, where you know, you are actively having to go and make this other film, like that is time and effort, like you say, and it is, you know, it's production capital and money, you know, yeah. uh, and all those kind of things. And so they've made the choice that they, you know, there are plenty of films out there where characters go to the cinema or whatever, and all you really see is them in a cinema. You never see what's on the film, yeah. what's showing. You just get, you know, the, the, the shot of them in the audience with people around them laughing or screaming because it's a horror film or whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, and that kind of thing. And you never actually see what it is that they're watching. Or they just, you know, you... Uh, like Donnie Darko, they go and see Evil Dead. Mm. And if they... the studio happens to own the rights or it's cheap, yeah, then it's yeah. easy. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, you know, especially if it's something like period, obviously it's in a limited period. It's got to be in a period when film existed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, yeah, something you, you go back to a certain period and again, rights and all that kind of allowed for, you know, if it's a thing in the 50s or something, you can just have them watching a Western you know, and there'll be a yeah. cheap Western that you could pay for the rights and just be like, yeah, we're going to have the footage from that playing, you know, or characters at home watching something on TV. Yeah. You can make it something real. You can make it so you don't actually show it. You just have perhaps the noise from it or the flicker of the TV. You know, you, yeah. you could, you, most of these scenes, you know, you could easily not actually show, you know, you just show the, you know, oh, we're, well, the, the, we want a scene where the couple goes on a date to the cinema. Okay, mm -hmm. so we're just going to show them buying popcorn, and that's going to we're going to have our dialogue yep. scene there where we're actually telling, you know, we're getting across the the emotional beat that we want to hit or whatever here. We don't actually need to see the film, you know. Yeah. But then there are films where they choose to show that, and so the question always is, why are you choosing that? Why do why do we need to see this fake poster for this film that you've made, or this fake footage, or this trailer that you've put together? Mm -hmm. Um. And so, like we say, it's usually because it's commenting, it's trying to draw a parallel, it's trying to draw a comparison, yeah. it's trying to make a joke about the film industry mm -hmm. in some manner of speaking. And that's kind of the key point. As you said already, Tim, it's the idea of bad films don't know what they're doing and they want to just sling something up there and it's like, here's the thing and it's shit. Um, people put intent there behind it, makes sense. And if you've got access to it, then it's all, it's all well and good. Um, and then... If you take something like uh, Shape of Water, for example, they reference musicals and things because they're building to the idea that this person cannot speak and cannot convey themselves. Mm. And that's what the dream fantasy sequence of the music and the musical. And then when, you know, the creature wanders off, he's in a cinema watching old movies. And then that instance, it's an old movie that actually exists. It's not something they've shot specifically to look like an older film, whatever, or get around it for copyright reasons or whatever happens to be. And also by that point, El Toro's got such huge capital behind him, it doesn't actually matter. But again, and, and again, to reiterate what Tim said, everything on screen, for a good film at least, should and is intentional. <laughs> for a good, yeah. yeah and it As is, you both said. For most films. For most films, yeah. It's intentional. It's intentional. And if you, you have to remember, when you're talking about budget and how much it's going to cost to shoot a movie and all this sort of stuff, you could end up running down a road where someone will go through, right, 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 hang on a minute. This is getting out of hand. Is this scene important? And mm. even if it's a film scene you love and that, oh, I can't believe it. They had this great scene in fucking No Way Home. It's, yeah, something's have to be cut for time. Something's have to be cut for budget. Um, sometimes it's, you know, terrible, like the fan four stick movie. The initial script seemed quite interesting. And they were like, well, this is far too expensive. 
cut it back, cut it back, cut it back, and then it becomes this unrecognizable piece of shit. Um, and other times they're like, why do you have to make an entirely separate movie out of mm-hmm. this? And it's like, because it illustrates X, Y, Z. It's it's very important mm-hmm. for me to get this character motivation across, to do a draw a parallel for the industry, for the genre, because the fans might not know this might be the first time they've seen this movie, and I'm explaining to them why this satirical point is necessary, whatever it happens to be. Right. Can we drop that scene at all because you're now shooting two movies, mm. basically? Um, and the answer is always no. Mm. Because again, how often these things stay in, they'll end up saying it won't cost much. It's not that important. It's mm. not a problem. It's the same as doing a VFX. And they're like, okay, fair enough. Mm. Um, and that's, that's what I find quietly fascinating because mm. it isn't just a case of like, um, oh, they're going to go to the cinema and they'll see some random thing. You do get most like um, in Matchpoint, the, the Woody Allen movie, they go and see a film together and there's awkward sexual tension. And what are they going to watch? They're watching um, Motorcycle Diaries, if I remember correctly. Mm. And um, it's a weird one, <clears throat> but it's a thing that was out around the time. Yeah. Mm. So it feels like it works. Mm. They don't go and see the film. They just see it's like on a boat behind in the same way that in Fight Club, seven years in Tibet is showing in a film theater behind where they're shooting. <laughs> yeah. It's like, but Brad Pitt's in that. But that's not the same thing. So this big dick. <laughs> yeah, that's that. <laughs> nice big cock. <laughs> but at the same time, that's, I mean, oh, and again, in Fight Club, again, I'd say that the seven years in Tibet in the background is more incidental. Mm. Uh, whereas them talking about, so when the snooty cat meets the so-and-so in the yeah. third act reel, yeah. You don't see that movie. You just no. get this impression you get, you get of a film. Bit, you yeah. get a bit of audio that's very sort of almost like impressionistic. Exactly. Where it's just like, uh, is there singing going on? It's a trumpet. Like, ah, 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 ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is that? You don't know you saw it, but you definitely saw it. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. Whereas other times they would go out of their way to show scenes, repeated moments, or a big thing, and it, it diverts the film so much you go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. I'm a bit mm. distracted now. Mm. The ones I always find kind of most fascinating from that production point of view of like, you do realize this involves us like making a whole other film, is when the genres are dramatically different. Yes. Um. So, for example, like the holiday one where it's like, and she's off, she's making the trailer for like a, like you say, a kind of born identity gritty thriller it's, type yeah, thing. Yeah, very action kind because of thing, yeah. Especially with a like, who is it? Is it Nancy Myers or is it Nora Ephron? I think it's Nancy Myers. It's Myers. Yeah. Like, you don't associate her with making gritty action films. No. So it's like, okay, well, is this a second unit director who's going off and doing this? Do they bring someone in mm. who is more familiar with that genre? They often yeah. do that um, with like, oh, yeah, my buddy so-and-so is doing the thing and it's some mm. other famous director and like, oh, yeah, they, they yeah. were also in Pinewood at the time and we yes. just asked them nicely and yeah. they came and did a yeah. day of shooting and it's uncredited or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. at this yeah. point, you know, for those who don't know, Nancy Myers is working on things like Private Benjamin and Father the Bride 1 and mm. 2 and The Parent yeah. Trap and it's like, yeah, the holiday-esque kind of yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. Sense. yeah. romantic comedies, yeah. family stuff. Yeah. And it's not saying this is the this is the key thing here. I'm pretty sure that wasn't a second unit or an AD thing. I think it was still her directing that stuff. Mm. Because again, for some people, it's like, well, that's really out of my wheelhouse, that's really out of my comfort mm. zone. And other directors are like, oh, that'd be fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and you do wonder this, when you occasionally get those uh directors who suddenly make a big genre leap. Um you you sort of want you know almost something like uh the Russo brothers going from mm, shooting yeah. Arrested Development and Community to making Marvel films yeah and you wonder 
did did shooting like parody stuff on community almost kind of be training wheels for them? Yeah. Obviously, those are that that stuff is more genre parody than it is we're shooting a specific fake film here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it makes me wonder like how much of that is just filmmakers almost stretching, you know, going like, okay, yeah, I fancy the the it's it's not a film, it's a TV show. Mm-hmm. But the the one I think of is um uh crime scene scene of the crime in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh <laughs> which is yeah, like yeah. a pitch perfect CSI parody. Yes. Um it's is Nicholas Stoller the director of that? Who's yeah. a very like he directed that. He went on to do the Muppets and stuff like that. He's a very just family friendly, very mm. unobtrusive director. Yeah, yeah in that kind of uh, Judd Apatow, yes. you know, um, Paul Feig, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you, you're not really going to notice the direction here kind of thing. And then because those shows are quite stylized and just the cinematography and the look of them <laughs> is so specific. And again, that's yeah. another thing is that, you know, often these films within films are, have a very different look to distinguish mm. them from. Purposefully, yeah. Because, yes. they, because they want to say, well, the, st- the film that you're watching is reality so we need to put some extra sheen on this mm-hmm. film within a film to distinguish that because if it looks exactly the same as the film you're watching yeah that's kind of confusing so it needs to look a lot more like a film quote yeah. unquote I, I remember getting confused about that as a kid mm. and like trying to understand you see like cartoons that who watch cut like simpsons yeah. watching itchy and scratchy yes yes are they, are they live action Animals, <laughs> or is that a cartoon within a cartoon? Because yeah. it's all the same style. Yeah, there's yeah, no differentiation true. there. And I think yeah. when you're doing live action stuff like that, you've got to make. You don't have to, but a lot mm. of people do. They choose to make it different on purpose to really mm. say something about like, yeah, this is the world, but look at the movies in mm. this world. And the, the classic example we we're talking about earlier with like Back to the Future and stuff. Yeah. And other things that do that, like futuristicy kind of thing, like look at the movies of the future, like uh, yeah, okay, we get it. Yeah. And you're trying to again tying into that world building kind of thing that gives it that extra layer of depth of these are living, breathing characters, and it continues existing even past what you see of the ninety minutes, the two hours of their mm-hmm. lives, or whatever. Yeah, I, I, the other thing uh, as well as having like the films of the future, I feel like characters watch a lot more like arty. Or black and white stuff in films than real people they do. Do yeah, as a way of distinguishing it because it's a it's a very easy way to go like oh well that's that's clearly you know you're trying so- to make a statement about some fancy stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the uh, is the dog walker in in Trainwreck yes, yes. in Trainwreck yes which is uh is it it's Marissa Tomei and Daniel Radcliffe yes and it's kind of sort of being a f- it's kind the- of Francis Harb kind yeah. of bound back kind of thing yeah but not it's really- also the source of that great photo of. Daniel Radcliffe, where he's just got like twelve dogs attached. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one, in, one in a series of just like weird little things he shot, like that film. Is it Guns Akimbo? Guns Akimbo, yeah. Where he's wearing yeah. a dressing gown and he's got guns duct taped to each hand. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Um, there's there's a another good interesting example because you you're interesting. You're interesting in any way, Tim. But anyway, <laughs> you're interesting. You're interesting. Thanks, Matt. You're interesting too. I don't think I'm. Not in a good way. In the same way that, you know, there's a mole on my back. Is that interesting? Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Can't all this out. Um, there's also a bit of a jab to the audience. Because as you say, with the, like, the black and white stuff, there is a, uh, a talking down to the audience that the filmmakers have been quite snotty about. It's like, oh, you're only going to see this shit. Mm. Um, so if you think about Notting Hill, 
I can't, I don't know if it has a name, but um, Hugh Grant goes to see one of Julia Roberts' movies. Oh, yes. And it's uh, this space thing. I keep getting, uh, I can't think of it because I always get it confused with the one in Thank You for Smoking. Oh, with ta- Catherine Zeta-Jones and Brad Pitt. Yeah, smoking, smoking, in space. smoking in Space. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where it's called like Space Station Number 9 or yeah, something. Something like that, yeah. And and that's a key one because that's a really good illustration of when people when you know this guy is in a relationship with this woman and he's finally seen her on the big screen, blind like, oh, she is leagues apart from me now, and she is literally in the outer atmosphere of Earth. It's like, yes. she is beyond my reach in yes. all forms. She is out of this world, precisely. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, that's some writing. No, no, yeah, and and that's that's it's it's subtle because it's dawning on you because it never explicitly states that you just get that feeling. It's like, oh yeah, she's, I, I I'm just a schlub. These are the pantheon of the gods kind of thing. But also that's how filmmakers exactly think that everybody sees all films anyway. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's why the joke... Coming from a filmmaker. Yeah, I know. As, that's why the joke in every time you see a celebrity in a film where they say, oh, you, I thought you were taller. I thought you'd be taller. And so we talk about in, in fucking Escape from LA and stuff. Well, you be taller, Snake, because that's all actors ever here. Because like, yeah, because you see me on a 20-foot fucking screen, you idiots. <laughs> The uh, the one in Notting Hill is called Helix. Subscribe. Ah. Uh, psychopathic flesh eating robots in space. Close encounters meets Jean de Florette. Fucking hell's sake. Um, but you know there there is a lot of like people are willing to go and see black and white or very heavy genre films in films, which is in no way something that would actually happen in real life, or, or very rarely happens in real life, shall we say? Um, I'm showing a few more examples. The interesting one that's easier to do is animation. So Pixar obviously has a load of films within films that they sort of acknowledge exist. And usually it's a reference or a joke to their own films anyway. Um, whereas in something like South Park, you've got uh, the various Terrence and Phillips sort of films and Asses of Fire, I think it is, was the, is the main one that causes so much... Um, yes. For all and up, and the, the <laughs> events of the movie, the, the, the catalyst that kicks it all off. Um, but again, that's that's a huge statement about the film industry and film censorship, and it's satirical. It's not just there just to push the story forward. It is the fucking story and the reaction to it, because obviously they're saying, and we know full well that's how people are going to react to this movie. We've already addressed it. We've already had that satirical awareness, etc., etc., etc. And yet when people are talking down to individuals saying, ah, you all watch these kind of movies and you mm. like this big nonsense action film, blah, 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 <laughs> usually in a comedy. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the biggest success is, you know, whatever movie it happens mm. to be in, 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 on the film. There's also the moment where the Hollywood machine is both insulting you and yet convinced that you are desperate to know how films are made. Mm. And that's why there are so many movies about making movies that somehow are really good and very well written and really well performed, but don't tend to do much with the public because the public don't really care. Yeah, on on a, on mass, as it were. Mm. Yeah, I I do like Asses of Fire uh, in mm. in the, the Terrence and Philip movie in in the South Park movie because it it continues that joke, which is the Terrence and Philip in South Park is essentially their version of what critics thought south park was yeah where exactly. it's just fart jokes yeah. um and so the, and swearing uh, yeah and swearing and so the terence and philip movie is their kind of pre-response to what to all the people who go yeah. do we really need a south park movie what is it going to be just you know 
90 uncle mi- fucking <laughs> 90, 90 minutes of calling each other an uncle fucker and farting on mounties you know yeah um it's going to desens- their little heads away. Yeah, it's going to desensitize the children. It's like yeah. maybe children shouldn't be watching this fucking film then. Yeah, yeah. and then and then, you know, uh, Parker and Stone did almost exactly the same, it's sort of the same joke, but in a different way. When they opened Team America with the fake puppets, yes. and then pull back yeah, to yeah. show that that's a puppet being operated by a puppet. Yeah. Um. I yeah, I thought that was very sly, and also yeah. the fact that it's like. You're an actor, Gary. You can do this. And I would actually argue that Matt Stone, Trey Parker, on film at least, rather than uh, stage productions and other bits and pieces there, and also excluding Cannibal the Musical, possibly, um, is a satirical look at the filmmaking process. With mm-hmm. South Park, it, oh sorry, with South Park, bigger, longer, uncut. It's them talking about their own reaction. They're preempting, as you mm-hmm. say. With Team America, it's a Michael Bay movie. It's like, yeah. well, any fucker can do that. I just can't afford the things. So I will do it with puppets and show yeah. how ludicrous it is as a situation. <laughs> yeah. And we'll do it completely straight and it will show you how ridiculous it is. Mm. Obviously, there's still quotes to it. Having said that beforehand, and the, the film that my quote was from the top of the show, Orgasmo, <laughs> about making porn films. Mm. Yeah. And it acknowledges that Orgasmo is such a successful movie somehow that it overtakes Star Wars and E.T. and these things as the <laughs> highest grossing film of all time. Um, and it never improves the visuals of it but it talks about the you know the various weirdos you see on set and, and mm. the arrogance of certain positions and so on and also to, you know mm. troping up the porn industry in general um but it, it it's it's so surreal when because it's i think it appears in comedy more than anything else yeah i think that's because it's fair. it's right because it, it's, it's it's satirical in nature yeah mm. so you end up things like um Again, Jay and Silent Bob and Clerks and that sort of thing yeah. doing the classic like here's the industry. It's all a bunch mm. of fucking. Nonsense. Well, it's it's also it's also almost like the Hollywood version of. Oh, my mates are so funny. You should just record what we do day to day because yeah. because uh, that 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 make for just just entertaining because we're like a sitcom in and of ourselves. <laughs> it's like oh. oh, you should. There's there's so many funny stories when you're making a film. <laughs> You know, we should just fi- we should just make a film about making a film because that's where all the the fun happens. Yeah, the amount of motherfuckers I have heard uh, say, "Oh, you know what's really funny? Life in my office or life on my shop floor." And it's, oh, it's me and my mate. Yeah, right. so we should do stand ups. Like, first of all, <laughs> no, doing stand up is a very different thing. That's a different thing. And sitcoms, there are good versions and they struggle. <laughs> um, but you're right. And then also, when you enter that world of we're going to make a movie about a movie. Mm. Just from a just for a second, just imagine the practicality of it. So you're telling um, your your producer head, the production head, "This is what we need to do to make this movie. We're making um, Blunt Man and Chronic." Okay, mm-hmm. fine for for Jane, Silent Bob. Great. So we have to create the set for Blunt Man mm-hmm. and Chronic, the, the 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 layer, as it were. Okay, fine. And you got you know Mark Hamill comes in as cock knocker. Cock knocker mm-hmm. So yeah. you got to do a load of costume stuff. I'm going to big fist. It's giant yeah. fist. Yeah. And all that hey sort kids, of shit. It's Mark Hamill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all that shit. It's like, okay, we've done this road movie already, but now we're doing this as well. Mm. Like, okay. And we're alluding to posters to Moon Raper. Was that yeah. what they called the, Mar- the, the Ben Affleck movie? Oof, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you get that and it's like, okay, well, how complicated it can be. It's, it's still a sequence for our movie. Yes. And here's where it gets a bit, bit tricky. When you're making a film, you have. Various individuals in technical roles 
from sound and lighting and camera work, etc., etc., and rigging and and lighting and running and gaffing and all this kind of stuff. Mm. It's a it's it's an army behind the scenes. Mm. They're not actors. They do their job and they do it very very well. Mm. A lot of them can act and can be very good, but yeah. they are. Yeah. So what you do is you go right, Jack. You're my production uh, studio. I want to get some money to do this. Great. I need to hire. Uh, at least 12 of these A1 lights. Okay, great. How much is it going to cost? That kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I tell you, Jack, that's going to cost 50 grand to hire them. And you're like, mm-hmm. sure. Jack's giving me a face. The face is... Not in the sequelizer budget, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's not in the sequelizer budget, but you know what? Let's I'll, make this vision come We'll get true. it done. <laughs> we'll get it done. Now I'm telling you, it's also about making a film. Oh, cool. Which means I need lights in front of the lights. Like, <laughs> can you not use the same lights? No, because I need them to light the lights. It's like, what no, about no. Just, the lights are on camera. Yeah. Some of the lights have to be on camera. <laughs> Can I use... But we need to light those lights. Yeah. With the lights of the lights. Can I use prop lights? No. <laughs> they need to be on as well. <laughs> You're paying for the electricity for all this, right? Yes. I need to see the cameras. Okay. So we need a set within a set with lights on lights on yeah. camera and everything yeah. is on camera. Oh, God. And I need extras running around dressed like boom operators who have things that don't actually work. Not to be mistaken with <laughs> yeah. the boom operators. That's... <laughs> That that oh! must get that must get so confused on those film sets because it's like okay we need to mark a uh, little sticky note on all of these things because these are the prop boom mics yep. not to be confused <laughs> with the actual boom mics yeah and I want because you know again how many see, takes have been ruined by the <laughs> yeah. long boom mic mm-hmm. and you'll see so many of these uh, when it's set pr- behind the productions of a film yeah so many of them are like the films just look really cheap and shitty, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. which is part, you know, part of it saying like, you know, oh, once, once when you're actually filming it, there's no magic involved. You know, that all happens yeah. through the, the, the camera and the, the, you know, the combined mm-hmm. artistry and all that kind of stuff. But it's also because like, I'd imagine there's a certain amount where it's like, yes, there's, there's the whole expense of like, okay, well, not only do we need the lights, but we need to, we need the, the fake lights that are going to be on yeah. here. But there'll be a certain amount of okay. Well, what does the studio already own? Okay, well we've got all mm. of these costumes from these Shakespearean dramas that we're not yeah. using anymore. Okay, we'll just shove the. Okay, it's just it doesn't. The film that it, they're making doesn't really matter, does it? No. Okay, right. Well, it's going to be a Shakespearean thing then because we've got all these costumes lying around. That's it. And so you have a certain amount of cheapness to the production because it's mm-hmm. it's yeah yeah it's kind of scr- not that we're saying that all film you know. But it makes sense that they would be like, okay, well, what what do we have on set? Right, you know, using budget efficiently, yeah, right? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. it makes sense that filming a studio backlot is very, in some ways, it's very easy because you just film the place that you're already, you're already got. in. You yeah. you don't have to go far to film it because you've just got to turn around the cameras and point them the other way. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a certain amount to it that's cheaper, but then there's it's just doubling up on everything precisely and again that's why i'm saying about if you're going to do this and this will, just to come back to the thing we said at the top of the show if you're going to do this give me a justifiable reason mm, and yeah. you have to then sell it like it literally illustrates the character cannot tell the boundaries of their own reality it illustrates how difficult our job is oh okay fair enough mm. now i'm on board that kind of thing um and if it's a period film if it's set in the 50s or 30s you're like great problem solved that's all prop shit anyway. Yeah. That doesn't matter. That's not, that doesn't have to be authentic. We're all just yeah. lying around anyway. Shoot it in black and white and be fine. Boom. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Um, Give the directors one of those big cones with a handle on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Funny chair and a funny hat. Yeah. Um, problem solved. Um, I remember like uh, in um, Sunset Boulevard, Norma Desmond just sort of wanders on set. And again, it's, it's actually 
DeMille there. And he's like, uh, are you okay? And he's like, oh yeah, no, I just see what you're doing. And they're just mm-hmm. shooting a film. I was like, the logic of like, so is he actually shooting an actual film? They thought, oh, hang on, he's shooting around the corner. We'll just do that quickly. I, I do love a bit of an, um, for lack of a better word, incestuous uh, crossover where mm. it's like, there is a, there is a series of cameos uh, that cross over nicely and acknowledge it within the universe. And that's the, that's the last thing sort of tangent to tie this all off, really, mm. is the in-universe complications of this stuff. <laughs> so when you acknowledge that Star Wars um, Return of a Jedi exists in X-Men Apocalypse, you're like, okay, so Star Wars exists. Okay, that's fair. Like, that, doesn't, that doesn't do too much there. That's fine. That's, mm. that's so they can make a joke about Last Stand. And you're like, well, maybe you shouldn't be fucking throwing stones yeah, in, your, in your glass Given house. that you're also the third film in a trilogy. And you're shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. All that stuff. But on the other side of things, you end up with in Scream 3, they go to, they're making, a, it's about what, making the movie about, about mm. uh, the events in Scream uh, and one of the stab sequels. And they have a cameo from Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith saying, mm. hey, it's Cardi fucking Chung or some shit like that, just yeah. screaming and like, fuck off, that kind of thing. And similarly, they're at the Miramax lot in Jan Silent Bob. And they go on these various scenes and shoots and things mm. like that. It's like, oh, wait, we're kind of implying that they see the universe differently, but it's the same events happening. And it's like, yeah. well, we're on set on the day. Should we just shoot a thing that's funny? Mm. And Wes Craven cameos in um, James Allen Bob. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's ver- that, that self-awareness. You can still do it in horror. You can still do it in a, in, in a drama. It's just mm. you have to do it with a very different mindset going into mm. it. So, yeah. It's like the thing of, so... Spider-Man in Civil War uh, references Empire Strikes Back. He does, yes. So Star Wars exists in the Marvel Universe. Uh Okay, fine. So do the prequels exist? And in that case, is Nick Fury always being told, hey, you look like Mace Windu? Windu," Or or, or Samuel L. Jackson? You look like Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. Or is it a case of a bit like the last action hero thing of the, in that universe, it was Lawrence Fishburne who played Mace Windu or something like that, you know, and he's got a, I don't know, an orange lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think that's... Because, um, again, also, isn't uh, Captain Marvel's cat called Chewie? Yes. For, uh, in, in the comics. In the comics, it's Chewie. In yeah. the film, it's uh, uh, Goose. Goose, yes. For Top Gun. Yeah, that, yeah. that makes more sense. That makes sense. Because I remember the complication, I'm going, ooh. And it's like, well, they've already done it with Civil War. Yeah, yeah. that's right. One that doesn't happen, but a reference. I watched Eternals recently at the time of recording yes. this. Mm. They call Icarus Superman a bunch of times. And I'm like, yes. DC films exist. I mean, MCU. Yeah. DC comics exist, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Does that mean Marvel exists? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Because like, <laughs> there are Marvel comics in the MCU based on the real life Avengers. Yes. Because we've seen the toys and the comics of them mm-hmm. in some of the Disney Plus stuff. Mm. But DC exists in it as well. It's like, what? And yeah, yeah bit- you get into those complications. Like, so. Was it? Yeah, I oh, love your, the idea of like Lawrence Fishburne mm. playing Mace Windu, yeah. and they've yeah. just like swapped a bunch of roles there to yeah. make it work. Yeah. And especially now that Disney owns everything, mm. it's like, oh, yeah. a Fox thing referenced a Disney thing that mm. then referenced Star Wars. It's like <laughs> they're all the same thing now. Oh no! Problems oh, they're all crossing over. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit like the bit in Shazam when they're in the toy store and there's a load of Batman and Superman toys. Yeah, it's like, oh, weird. Who? I, like who has the merchandising rights in the universe where Batman is Actually real? Actually exists. Like, yeah. Are they are those made by Wayne Enterprises? Yes. That'd be <laughs> funny. Yeah. 
and they're a little too R&D based <laughs> and the Superman ones don't work as well <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's a bit of a flex from Marvel as well and say like, oh why would you open reference you know Superman there's clear comparisons mm. it's like because that way we can say in our universe DC is inspired by our characters therefore yeah. what they do is derogatory <laughs> I haven't even thought about that yeah. and well because the, yeah. the, in the comics mm. um, there are Marvel comics within the comics yes um, yes yeah. because a because the writers at the time thought it'd be funny to like throw in their own cameo. It, it like it gets very complicated because like Stanley welcome, and Jack welcome Kirby, to comics everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Stanley and Jack Kirby showed up at the wedding of the Fantastic Four. Yep. Um, and you have bits like where, um, because Steve Rogers is an artist, which they reference in the films, they have him draw a little dancing monkey illustration and stuff mm. like that. Um, so at one point in the comics, Steve Rogers becomes an artist for Marvel comics. And is drawing, oh, God. and is drawing Captain America oh, co- uh, comic books based on Captain America's exploits in the real world, i.e., the Marvel universe. But they don't know he's also Captain America. <laughs> he's just yeah. a guy who's brought in to draw those comics, Fuck and no. the comics are essentially, docu- you know, they are they are like you know, fictionalized versions of real events but yeah. the real events happen to be superhero fights yeah there's, enough. The, there's oh, a she-hulk arc uh when dan slot was writing she-hulk in the kind of early 2000s where uh because comics have the comic code authority stamp on them which is a government agency they can be used as legal documents in court and they're used as like <laughs> historical <laughs> reference document it's quite funny because yeah god she-hulk has always lent up a bit uh, against the fourth wall yeah. quite yeah. heavily yeah exactly and it's just to keep with the superhero and, and the, the Marvel connections for a second. If you take something like Logan, and Logan very openly mm. says about oh, yeah. Shane. They talk, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they and talk that's, about that's, the comics within that universe. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm. and, and it's like, so that's it's not how that happened. Yeah. That kind of it's stuff. this alternate version where the comics have been inspired based on real events and real people. And so that's not how it is. And it's an mm. alternate history. And they do the film within a film, but it's a film that exists already, like Shane. So obviously, and it's, you know, they have the rights to that. So there's no issue yeah. there, arguably, or they pay for the rights. And then on the other flip side of it, I was like, yeah, the MCU doesn't really do it until recently. Yeah. The, 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 I know the, sh- the, the, the Broadway musical doesn't count. The Avengers <laughs> Steve Rogers, the musical. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That was, that's hilarious nonsense, but good. But like, People it... were really pissed off about that post credit scene. I don't get Well, why. the other thing is, is that it's such a shitty musical. That's the oh, point. Yeah, that's the point, yeah. I know that's the point, but... <laughs> but still, you're still sitting through a shit musical. Yeah, and yeah. it's... Yeah. And it's that thing of like, this is not what Broadway musicals look like. It, well, it looks, the cynicism against the film while talking about the theatre while yeah, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, it looks it looks like a Amdram production. It doesn't look like yeah, you know, it's a piss take of the Spider Man one. I, assume. I guess that's definitely a yeah, thing the, going into but it. Also but also, the Spider Man one didn't look cheap. Yeah, like well, it looked fucking yeah. weird because it was but r- it, turn off the dark was famously incredibly fucking expensive, horribly yes. broken. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. But having said that. Bring up Eternals. Mm. Technically, Uh-oh. Eternals does make it because I was like, the MCU doesn't have films within films where they like they've got real life reference points, mm. but there aren't a lot of movies that are fake in this universe. They have things that are referenced, but don't really until mm. it's business. And Eternals is a great example because of all the fucking films that uh, Kingo's making. Yes, and one of which is about Icarus. And it's like, well, that one. Oh yeah, right yeah, there counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think One Division's got some other stuff in there as well. Yeah, One Division's possibly. a prime example. We're doing so many things anyway that it yeah. all works. It's so meta. It's it works perfectly. Yeah, there's an there's an outtake 
from Eternals, where it's the conversation. I think it's between um, Kingo and and Droog, where he's going like, um, he's like, oh, so you're an actor? He's like, I've directed stuff too. Mm. Like what? Some internet content. On Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. See, I, again, it's it's that uh, some moments. Um, but again, I think the MCU. I wouldn't be surprised if we see more mm-hmm. of that. That yeah. there's going to be an Avengers movie within Avengers, and it means you have to reshoot your own stuff. But they obviously that's not necessarily too bad because they did that with Endgame. Basically, mm. I was about to say they already revisited yeah. Avengers and did mm. that. Anyway. It's when they go. We're going to have to do something dramatic. How's that? We're going to do a noir film that Steve loves. It's like mm. sure. what? That kind of thing. A couple of different points. Go ahead. Um, One, there's a really great kind of meta fan fiction out there. Um, I have to track down the link so we can stick it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, It was was made by a bunch of different people who all like contributed different parts to it. But it's essentially Steve and Bucky sitting down to watch all of the... The lists. All of the... Oh, yes. No, no, not the lists. Oh, no. It is... All of the films that have been made about Captain America oh, in, yes, in, yes, yes. in between him being frozen and him being unfrozen. And the they, war films, yeah. And it, and it does, it's like hilarious, like some very serious war films. And then there's like one in the 90s where it's them fighting. It's like basically like Jurassic Park. Mm, it's like them fighting brilliant. robot dinosaurs and stuff brilliant. like that. Um, and the other thing to kind of come off the back of that is that, we, you know, we talked about how there's films within films where you're watching them and it's it's often like a commentary on genre and stuff like that. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. there's films where it's the production and it's a commentary on filmmaking and yeah. the Hollywood process typically and, and stuff like that. I'm sure there's like Bollywood examples that are about mm-hmm. behind the scenes of Bollywood and, and stuff oh, yeah. like that. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. But the other thing is, and this circles right back to us talking about food on film. Mm. Oh, hello. Is the thing that, the other thing that these films establish is just a reality yeah because we we talk about films we go and see films we have the tv on you know we have you know we we meet up and go to the cinema those are things that real people do it's that living breathing world thing i was talking about earlier right Mm -hmm. exactly Mm -hmm. and so it isn't just like oh we're seeing these characters for 90 minutes and they stop existing after those 90 minutes yeah and so you know, it can be as simple as something like, oh, these two characters are going on a date. Where are they going to go? Well, they go to the cinema. Mm. Oh, right. Well, then, then we need a yeah. film. We need a film that's on there. Yeah. Um, or it can be as complex as like, well, hey, if superheroes exist, wouldn't there be films made about them? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't there be, you know, all this stuff going on in the back, the, the world reacting to their presence? And it just establishes that, that verisimilitude. And it just says to you, at a certain level, you know, these characters are like me. I'm watching a film. These characters are also watching a film in their mm-hmm. day-to-day life or making a film or like whatever. Relating it to the audience there. You, exactly. You're already watching a film, so we know that's one of your interests. So yes. yeah. here's yeah. how you can relate to these characters by them yeah. being film watchers as well. Yeah. yeah, in the same way that characters eating, as well as the way it can be used as a dramatic tool to, in a huge variety of ways. Establish dominance. Exactly. Um, what I do when I eat. Yeah. I've seen you eat. Yeah. You've seen me eat for a long time. I have. Yeah. Matt establishes dominance when eating by just taking fucking forever. <laughs> I, I will go at my own pace yeah. meal. It's like, oh, I'm finished eating. It's like, yeah, you might be, but guess what? The evening isn't over until I've finished and I'm not fucking <laughs> oh, halfway no. through this pie. <laughs> um, that fucking pie. <laughs> but it just establishes that basic 
human empathy of like yeah. this character's eating they are alive they are a human person <laughs> yeah. breathing and, and yeah. living and eating yeah. um and you know enjoying the cinema very yeah. much so i think there's a beautiful just to, again to, to tie things into another episode which about i think again i convinced this is a patreon one about our um our uh, uh scariest moments in films sort of things mm. things that terrify us in movies um so if you haven't listened to that go listen to that and the food one as well um perfect blue um perfect blue is an anime film by satoshi Kon. And in it, a idol star who's a you know sort of young Japanese woman who's a performer, she's a pop idol kind of thing, transitions into filmmaking, and it's very different. And obviously, she's mentally unhinged by the situation. There's lots of other things going on, but there's a lot, so much grounding in like, oh, her apartment is small, like yours. She has a small console, like a PlayStation kind of thing. She's playing mm. games and she watches, and she does her hangs her her laundry in the over the bar. She hasn't got the space, mm. and she goes to make this movie. And and again, it's the blurred the lines of reality and puts you in that empathetic position you're like oh i just watch movies yeah have you ever considered about you watch movies and that grounds the situation mm. yeah i can get that can you think what it's like to be someone else for a day and how might might mess your mind up god yeah that's mm. really screwed. and then you get mm. to fucking kaufman territory and all that <laughs> bullshit and god it gets deep yeah. that was in fact a patreon episode matthew there we go would you like to guess when it was it was a oh, final sorry. episode before us before the next season kicks off and it is before season blank kicks off we've got one final bit of interseason content Blah blah blah. So I'm going to say it was a lockdown one, which is most of them. Doesn't narrow it down. So I'm going to say 2021. Okay. Am I on the right track? Yes. Hey, that's a victory for me then. I'm going to say it was. Just tell me the season. July. No. <laughs> Season not, not tell me the not season. season. Summer. <laughs> Summer. No. No, not that season. I don't know. Uh, seven. Um, Tim, any guesses? I think it was just before season eight. It was just before season eight. Yes, mm -hmm. in April of 2021. I think a couple, couple of weeks after your birthday, there. Matthew. Oh, nice. Oh, God. Right at the very end. 29th of April, 2021. Scariest movie moments. Mm. Oh, so uh, that feels like an eternity ago. The mm. fact that that is before season eight, I'm like, what did we even do for season eight? I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. that was like so long ago. Yeah. It's mind melting. That was yeah. not even a year ago yet. Hmm. That is, yeah. We we done a lot of content basically. We have. So if you're new to like this this tier, yeah. If like, you're uh, something, I feel like we don't yeah. say enough. We kind of assume everybody's been here for ages, and you've all caught yeah. on the content and stuff. If you're if this is your first piece of Patreon content, or you've only recently joined us this year in 2022, or, or gone up to this level, or gone up to this level, exactly right. Go back and listen to all the other stuff. With there's hours and hours of outtakes and yeah. extra bonus episodes mm. and all that kind of stuff to go and check out, including a bunch of stuff we've just been referencing, yeah. funnily enough. We mm. tend not to reference them too much in the show because you're not ostracized. People go, oh, I want that, but I can't afford it. Whereas if you're here already, it's like, mm. go now. Yeah. 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 Also, we forget which ones have been exclusives and which one haven't. We that's, do. That's the quality of the bonus episodes. Later, that's right? actually very true. This, the yeah. more quality we, we bring we don't, to everything. We don't, don't half-ass half it. it. No. It's a proper full interseason episode. <laughs> we say it's proper full ass. Proper. <laughs> we whole ass one thing. We yeah. don't half ass two things. Mm. So let's get into some picks of our own, shall we? Some good examples and some weird examples yeah. and everything in between. As we do with these kind of interseason slash patron exclusive interseason kind of episodes. Let's dive into some two interesting examples. I'm going to kick off with a big one that mm -hmm. a lot of people are probably thinking about already. And I basically just need to say two words, and it's like half a dozen films within films. <laughs> it's Tropic Thunder. 
Yeah, <laughs> Tropic Thunder is a fantastic. That, that, Tropic Thunder is the examples we gave earlier of like the film industry making movies about presenting it's a, it's trailers a film or about clips. making films. Mm. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, and, and but it's also like, or is it just going to do going a trailer? You can do clips. It does all of those yes. things for multiple films. It's, like, it's layers shit. upon layers of mm. ignoring the dude playing a dude who's playing another dude <laughs> joke there. Like, mm. but there are films within films about them making films mm. in that film, and it's like, oh my god. All the actors are playing actors who are then <laughs> in films in that universe, but also acting in this universe. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but yeah, it's that whole thing is so just layered in this shit. And you do get the cameo stuff as well. Oh, yeah, tons. <laughs> tons of that kind of stuff. But it is the central kind of, you know, you've got your Downey Jr., you've got Ben Stiller, you've got Jack Black, and they're all doing this kind of like, Oh yeah, I explain about your history as a as an actor in mm. this universe. And like, mm. oh yeah, he went through his dark period and oh, he did this stupid thing and all that kind of stuff and you get I think the probably the one most people think about is Simple Jack with Ben Stiller, the well, so it's integral to the plot. Incredibly offensive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <sighs> But heavily based on actual real films. And like, that's the thing. Yeah, I am Sam and stuff like that. And they're all basically parodies of real films in our world that are parodies in their world, I don't think. It's like, this yeah, is the, the, the parallel universe version and it's of classic that. classic because these are the people who are also perpetrating these things all the time, saying, oh, yeah. God, films, right? It's like, you're making those films. Yeah. Yeah, but come on, man. It's yeah. Like, what do you mean, exactly. come on? Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. It's this bizarre thing, where, and I think it works really well. In, I really like Tropic Thunder in general because I think what it does and plays around with the whole like egos of actors and stuff yes. is yeah. very well done. And obviously, it was like it's the same year as Iron Man, and it's Robert Downey Jr. Mm. part of his yeah. Renaissance moment mm. and stuff. And like, oh yeah, he can be in things again. Like, is that same year as, if not very close to Kung Fu Panda? I feel like it is. Yeah, it's around about then, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That, that, it's, it's that whole time. Kung Fu Panda 2007 or this 2008? Mm, yeah. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, you've even got like, I, I don't know how to describe it. Do you remember that period in comedy where you'd get one guy who played all the different characters? The Martin yeah. Lawrence the, thing? The late Eddie, the Eddie Murphy, Murphy thing? Eddie, Eddie yeah. Murphy. Yeah. Um, uh, the Nor uh, the, 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 the flumps Norbits and also the, the Norbits and yeah. the clumps and yeah, that the, kind of stuff. The, Freddy, yeah. the, the, the Nutty Professor Two sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, but the, the the big thing is that you've got the three main characters. You've got uh, Robert Downey Jr., Jack Black, and and Ben Stiller, as, as Jack said. And one is doing. He's the dumb action guy who wants to be taken seriously. Yeah, which we see so many. I mean, again, classically with Kindergarten Cop, it's like here's the big action guy. He wants to be like a in a friendly film. Mm, it's like, yeah, that's a weird move. Mm. Um, and then everyone does the same thing. But it's also like, I want to be a, a, a real actor and do a really challenging yeah. role. It's like, oh, maybe you should, maybe no mm. one should be doing that role. Then you've got the, as you say, the the level of comedian who is doing the the lowest common denominator yeah. film who can't escape the trappings of that. And you've got the highbrow prestige dickhead who is so arrogant in their method role bollocks mm. that they're being hideously, hideously offensive in yes. every choice they take. Because they're like, but I am an actor. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you, you've chosen the wrong move. Yeah, to, to spin off of that, so Satan's Alley is the one that <laughs> um, Kirk Lazarus, which is mm. Robert Downey Jr.'s character, is in. And, I, and funnily enough, thanks to Nestflix, yes. I've, got, yes. I've got the little oh, details brilliant. here. Um, in a time where to be different was to be condemned, 
and to be condemned was to die. One man chose to question his God. A Beijing Film Festival Crying Monkey Award winner. (laughs) (laughs) I've been a bad, bad boy, father. Mm. And uh, it also stars Tobey Maguire. Yes. Actual Tobey Maguire, who is a cameo, not as playing a fake actor, but as Tobey Maguire. Because I believe the joke is it's like, like... eight-time Academy Award winner Kirk Lazarus yes. and MTV Movie Award Best that, Kiss yes, winner. Yes, exactly. It's brilliant little things like that. There's like, okay, that's a cameo in a film within a film, <laughs> but he's playing himself while Robert Downey Jr. is an actor in this world. He's <laughs> not playing Robert Downey Jr. Essentially playing like egomaniac Robert... Uh, um, Daniel Day-Lewis. Kind Daniel Day-Lewis. 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 Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the funny thing, because we were talking earlier about like the production of like, by making, if you're making like a film within a film, you, you're essentially making another short film. Yeah. And trailers are especially difficult because for the most, like tr- uh, trying to write a fictional trailer for a film where you don't have the entire film to work from. Yes. If you look at how, most trailers are traditionally like structured or, or or whatever like is incredibly hard um and it's very interesting when you look at the trailers that they use so there's the the multiple Ben Affleck action franchise ones where i think they're called heat wave and uh, then there's Benster's one and scorcher. Uh, Benster's scorcher and scorcher and uh scorcher 6 yes global meltdown yes uh yeah so um, scorcher we have here it's a uh, it's 2013, and the Earth's rotation has come to a halt. Jesus Christ, 2013. I know. <laughs> Fuck the distant hell. future of 2013. The president has declared all of North America a disaster area. The world calls on one man who can make a difference. Yes. And it's him holding a baby in like a loincloth. Yes, and yeah, with a all, big gun and stuff. A big gun. And it's yeah. all post-apocalyptic. Stuff, yeah. yeah. Speedman. But like... Doug Speedman. So, it, and then you have the the... The Jack Black one, which is essentially it's Nutty Professor Two, the clumps, the fatties fart too. Yes, <laughs> and then Satan's Alley, and each of those trailers, rather than actually being what a trailer normally is like, which is like clips from various parts of the film, yeah, give it gives you an idea of the story, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, they're basically just kind a of a, a scene. Yeah, so you have the. The Scorcher ones are just him like striding through this CGI landscape holding a baby, and then it just comes up with and like two, Scorcher and two ba- two babies in Scorcher sleep. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. and then, and it's it's like it's like the camera flying over the landscape and like in a world, um, and then it just comes yeah. up on him, and you know he looks to the camera. The Nutty Professor one is essentially just the dinner from the uh, the fatties. It's, yes, is yeah, the dinner yeah, yeah. from the Nutty Professor, and yep. it's all them sitting around doing farts. It's it's the um uh, uh, can I get you anything more? Oh my beans! Oh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Satan's Alley is the closest to being a real trailer, but it's very much it's like all one setting. Yes, it's, and it's, it's a lot looking away in the distance kind of yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah, it feels more like a for your consideration type thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a flavoured outline, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll give you a couple more rundowns. Scorcher 6, Global Meltdown, with a with a runtime of 2 hours and 27 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they um, knew. Yeah. <laughs> In the sixth instalment of the Scorcher franchise, the one man who made a difference five times before is about to make a difference again. Only this time, 
It's different. <laughs> Here we go again. Again. <laughs> and uh, it goes from, is it hot in here, is the tagline to the first one, to who left the fridge open. The yes. Sixth one. Cause, because cause... it's post-post-apocalypse, and now the earth is frozen, frozen over. over. Yes. Yeah. And he's got two babies and little, like, snuggies. <laughs> and two big guns. Yeah. And Good it acknowledges this, this huge world of filmmaking. And again, that's what I'm saying. The understanding of the film world by these people because they're perpetrating these things themselves. They've all been directly involved in these universes. They've all been involved in these things. Um, so they can all empathize immediately. And the only person who's actually genuinely relatable is Jay Baruchel's character. Yes. And he's talking about what, the, the war between HD, DVD, and Blu-ray and how it's really interesting. And they're like, Jesus Christ, kid, you still talking? The <laughs> fuck? <laughs> Oh god, yeah! Instantly, as soon as we said this topic, that was Tropic Thunder is what leapt to my mind as it's a great, the, the obvious yeah. example, and yeah, the fact that it has six different things just on Netflix, yeah. not including the other stuff that the other characters talk about yeah. that doesn't get a trailer. Because with Netflix, it's just the stuff that's actually shown on screen, so it's not including the stuff that is just posters in the background yeah. or whatever. So there's even more stuff in Tropic Thunder, and they even have. The making of the film that they're making in Tropic Thunder called Tropic Blunder. <laughs> yes. Because they do a mockumentary about the making of the film. Which wins an award. Which we're uh, winner of eight Academy Awards. Thank I think you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which With is... a runtime of two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. The true story behind the making of the most expensive fake true war story ever. <laughs> Sergeant John Fourleaf Tayback and the Vietnam Jungle are full of surprises. Winner of eight Academy Awards. See, I remember that moment at the end of the movie, and it does the meta thing of like, oh, it goes on to be this recreated film, and yeah. how they mm. reassess it and things. And you see the other nominees for best actor, and one is Tom Hanks in a wheelchair, um, <laughs> doing like a, a, a Paralympian sort of thing. And you're like, yeah, yeah, because he's being very brave for doing that performance. Yeah, which is, yeah very problematic then and now. Mm. And yet, and yet. Robert Downey Jr. got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor for his yeah. role as Kirk Lazarus in Blackface. And it's one of those moments where you're like, I know the film he is really... actually had Blackface yeah. in 2008. Mm. It's like, it's one of those moments where you think, I know you're trying to make the point here, and I know the point is that actors go too far, mm. but you're doing it by going too far. And I don't know if that's... That's the thing. ...good or like, not, and yeah. it's not my place to say if it is. Mm. If you're doing Blackface to make a point about Blackface... You're still doing blackface. Yes, even if you're doing it ironically, yeah, you're, you're still, still doing, doing it. it. Yeah, you have, yeah. I just, got... I just punched this baby ironically. Like, I mean, you still punched a baby. Yeah. All the African American characters say it's not all right. It's like yes, and I'm sure behind the scenes they're saying the same thing again to yeah. your face, and you're like, that's right. Like, say it like that in the film. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm saying this to you now. <laughs> yeah. And then the Oscars like, what a fucking hilarious thing you did. You send up, a, you know, you shove, you're yeah. a set up all the actors who. Like, I'm going to play Neil Armstrong. And I, I, I was found in a cardboard box outside trying to re-enter the atmosphere. I've lost my mind in the role. And you're like, God, that's so us. And it's like, again. It's not yeah. a compliment, folks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a slap in the face. But, but we get the jokes. So we're going to give you an Oscar nomination mm. for it. It's like, fucking hell. Um, it's, yeah, and I think, I think you're right. Tropic Thunder is the one a lot of people think of. And, and a very good one. Because, again, it has some of the best people involved in it doing those sorts of things. And it draws a light on roles you wouldn't think. Yeah. Like producers, yeah. Tom yeah. Cruise playing that role, and mm. agents. And who's, who's, the, who's the, um, the head grip on the set? This guy holds his hand up. I want you to punch that director really fucking hard in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. 
Uh, Matthew, I'll transition to you. What's your first pick? I'm going to go with the one that fooled so many people. Oh. Um, so I remember as a kid, and I mean like maybe 13, 14 years old, and I started to get into older movies a bit more and broadening my horizons mm. and stuff and <laughs> watching, you know, like, I, I was like, my, you know, I'd seen Akira and stuff. I'm like, oh my God, the world is so much broader now. And mm. I used to get into like James Cagney films and thinking, oh God, th- these old gangster movies are fucking great because they got through the untouchables. And oh, if you like that, you should watch Little Caesar. Oh, great. That sort of influence. And I remember thinking to myself, I need to go back and watch that movie that I remember from this other movie. Mm. Oh, great. Yeah, because it seemed really fucking cool. I really wish. And I, I know there's a sequel to it. I'll go watch that. And uh, I watch. Um, uh, angels with with uh, dirty faces and think yeah wait no this no that's not the film I thought it was oh okay <laughs> I mean that's a fucking I love mm. it. it's a wonderful James Cagney film Power Bryant it's really really good I mm. recommend it highly but that wasn't what I was thinking of so I go back and I watch Home Alone and I'm like no Angels with Filthy Souls that's what it is okay yeah. I'll go find that now and this is the early days of IMDb and you're like uh, wait no this film doesn't exist I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't exist I've seen it right there yeah. just, there's a sequel to Dirty Faces yeah. right it's gotta be it's, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah it's gotta be related to it, it? It's, it's shot on film stock it's, it looks like yeah. it's from the, they're actors who I have no idea who they are it's gotta be from like the 30s or 40s yeah so yes my pick um, is in Home Alone and arguably in Home Alone 2 uh, yeah. Angels yeah. with Filthy Souls and Angels with Even Filthier Souls yes <laughs> Um, the classically referenced um, keep the change you filthy animal and yep. get on your knees and tell me you love me <clears throat> I believe you baby morning, tummy me- gun, Merry Christmas it? you filthy animal Yeah, from Kevin himself and- exactly yeah. and it's, it's fascinating for two or three reasons one I think it's really fucking well done it, it is, is. It yeah. is. Yeah. it's so believable yeah. like you said yeah. mm. I had no idea it was fake <clears throat> I think Until Seth Rogen said on a tweet like a couple yeah, of years there ago. Was, yeah, there was yeah. a viral Seth Rogen tweet yeah. where he was yeah. like, I just found out and my mind is blown kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I think I had that as well, but I'm way less famous than Seth Rogen, despite the fact that I kind of look like him <laughs> and can do the laugh. I mean, maybe you put the tweet out and we just Maybe I like, did. Maybe I did, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's fascinating in that regard. But more importantly, because other than I like, really liked it from my childhood and I was conned and fooled and think, well, that's really clever because Home Alone looks and feels so very 90s and Chris Columbus did a great job with both those two movies I still really love them etc 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 we fixed the third one go listen to that episode we did. as well we did third one's a piece of shit it is a piece of shit and everything that follows after is just as bad um <clears throat> excuse me but the angel with filthy souls serves a wonderful purpose to start with it's this really strange idea that in in the very very early nineties, nineteen nineties specifically, one nine one, Kevin McAllister's watching a film he shouldn't be watching. There's no way that that family is sitting down to watch some weird fucking gangster movie from the forties. <laughs> They'd be watching like an Arnie action eighties film. That's the that's the environment they live in. But this world, it's like to mention earlier about the whole black and white film thing. It's like mm. okay, so he's eating ice cream and watching junk and watching rubbish. Mm. Broke my mind. You better come out and stop me. And he's terrified of this movie because it's not age appropriate. Mm. And so he's like, oh God, oh God, he, that guy's getting shot to pieces by the, the Tommy mm. gun. And then later, he uses it as a joke with uh, trying to con the pizza guy. He's, well, yeah. he still pays, but you know, he's, he's, he's making, you know, playing with it because he's now a little bit disfranchised, desensitized, mm. and he's growing. And then finally uses it as a, as a weapon to attack back when he's um, trying to scare off mm. Harry and Marv. Um, and then in the, in the sequel, 
obviously he still has the connection. He has a fondness for it. And he mm -hmm. likes that he's sought out, it seems, the, the sequel intentionally, um, even though it's clearly very schlocky. And again, in terms of how it was shot, it was, lit again, it was shot on old film stock. Yeah. With unknown actors and very tropey stuff by people who clearly love the genre or had an idea mm. of what the, the thing would be very silly and written in a way that could be tied in perfectly to an exchange with the pizza boy, to an yeah. exchange with Tim Curry and the rest of the, the, the concierge's crew and yeah. things. So it, it, it works on so many layers. And more importantly, it works as a standalone because the idea of, I didn't hear you come in. It's, it's, just, it's just a nice little narrative. Yeah. But if you think about them making Home Alone, they've got all these stunts going on. You've got Joe Pesci and all this stuff's happening down Stern and, and, mm. and there's components on planes and airports mm. and this house and tons of stuff. Oh, and by the way, we need to block out at least two or three days. We go shoot this gangster movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that is that kind of kind of blows my mind a yeah. little bit because again, that's that that feels like a that one day in in the office or or, or on the shop floor, wherever it is, when you're doing like a stock take or something, and you're like, should we kind of half fuck about, still do the job, mm. but it's so <laughs> different from what we usually do. It's such a disconnect, mm. even though it's the same thing. That'd be a lot of fun. Mm. Um, or if you're if you're like working in a in a restaurant and you get to do one off menu thing, like oh god, right, I get to do my own dessert this time. Fuck it, I'm going out. I'm going to do this whole <laughs> crazy thing. So yeah, for me, um, Angels of Filthy Souls will always like mm. with Tropic Thunder for you, Jack. That was the first thing that came to mind for me. Mm. Uh, this so this it was tweeted by Seth Rogen. My entire childhood, I thought the old timey movie that Kevin watches in Home Alone brackets Angels with Filthy Souls was actually an old movie. Tweeted on Christmas Day 2018. Nice. Um, and then it got quote tweeted by Chris Evans just going, it's not. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So many people are fooled. And that is a sign of how goddamn good it is. Yeah. Because it's, and it, and it, it, it's such a disconnect from what you're watching. Mm. Um, Tim, what's your uh, first pick? Uh, mine are sort of a connected pair. Mm. Ooh. Um, you love your thematic. Ooh, Ties and threads, Tim. Yeah. I love it. Um, I'm going to go with the the sillier one first. Sure. Um, I've done the same thing. Which, uh, <laughs> again, probably one of the more iconic ones that people will think of if you go try and think of a fake film within another film. Uh, less so in this country and more so in America mm. because of the way it was distributed. Yeah, because fair. in Britain, for the most part, you could, there were a few showings of it, but we got Planet Terror and Death, Death Proof, Proof yeah. as two separate films. Yep. In America, you got Grindhouse, which was the double bill of them. And in between, you got trailers for fake films. Yep. Uh, which included machete which went on to then be a real film with a sequel mm -hmm. uh you got uh i believe it's werewolf women of the ss Something that's like right that, yes yeah. yep. yeah rob zombie one yeah, yeah. um and the Ooh, one nick cage's fu manchu yeah yes fucking hell uh and then the one that i have picked to highlight uh which is don't <laughs> uh which was a fake trailer. these are all fake trailers obviously uh made by edgar wright um, which is, it's kind of a combination of, of several different styles. It's mostly sort of a hammer horror parody, but then there's also elements of like giallo. 
yeah, in yes, there. There's yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a short trailer. It's only about a minute and a half long, um, and it it's full of cameos. Um, some you'd expect, and some that are completely unexpected. And, and weirdly, with people who he's never worked with again, like Jason Isaacs, um, is in it, and Matthew McFadden, um, mm-hmm. as well as like si- uh, uh, a unrecognizable Simon Pegg under so much makeup, and yeah. then an easily recognizable Nick Frost playing like a deranged man baby kind of thing, <laughs> yes. um, uh, and a bunch of other kind of UK actors. And it's basically just here are some actors wandering around this spooky old mansion and then they get killed in this wide variety of ways. And then there's like, oh, look, a possessed baby, a possessed child and uh, ghost zombie uh, flappers from the 1920s and all this kind of other stuff. uh, Clearly just taking these horror tropes and running with them. Um, It does a couple of clever commentaries on stuff at the time which were very deliberate Mm -hmm. one of them is that you would get a lot of films and the one that it's kind of particularly referencing is is, uh, a film that was in the uh in the uk it was called the living dead at the manchester manchester morgue Mm. um it had a different name in italy my editing map Hey, is that the corpse? Uh, the oh, okay. Uh, in Spain and Italy, it was called um, "Do Not Speak Ill of the Dead." Mm. Um, both of which are kind of referencing that there's it's a zombie film and yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, in 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 America, it's just called "Don't Open the Window." <laughs> <laughs> okay, doesn't have a scene that involves a window particularly nope. in it. Um, so yes, yeah, so it was kind of referencing that in that in that just, you know, oh, we're just going to take this film and retitle it something completely stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, it also noticeably, and as it, I picked up on this actually when I saw it, because I was, I was in America when Grindhouse came out, so I actually got to see it in the cinema oh, in cool. the full, like, double feature presentation cool. with the yeah. trailers, which uh, was fun. I, I saw it in a big thing. It, the thing is, the version we got as um, Planet Terror and Death Proof in the UK were longer. Mm. Because watching Grindhouse was a whole experience. Mm. Yes, it was, it was one very it's like three hours long as Grindhouse. Yeah, there was a limited couple of UK screenings of it, and I was about to get to one of those. And mm. it was I really enjoyed seeing it together because they, they complement each other quite well. Mm. Uh, whereas separated, they're like yeah, it's fine. Oh, they're fine. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so, sorry, Tony. Yeah, um, yeah. And I actually, I, so I picked up on this during the viewing, which is that you never hear any of the cast members speak. It's got this very trailer voice voiceover which is done by will arnett yeah who's got a very you know he's batman in lego form yeah yeah um voice actor batman the, voice actor the hence, batman. yes the, the voice um, work. oh jack batman oh jack batman <laughs> uh which is essentially it, and and you kind of you still get this with american films that are going over uh, sorry british films that are going over to america and non-english language films that are coming to both america and and britain yeah which is that they cut the trailer and then they stick a voiceover on it or whatever (coughs) essentially designed so that you never hear any dialogue and don't realize that it's not from to convince you your country basically um so yes it's got this a very american voiceover just like if you're thinking 
of going to the old mansion. <laughs> Don't. Don't. Um, but but you never actually hear any of the actors speak because then you'd hear their British accents and you'd go, oh, it's British. Horror film, fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's in- incredibly over the top. Um, great fun. There's a there's a making of that was on the DVD that's very you know amusing, of just watching Edgar Wright just having quite a lot of fun doing incredibly over the top horror stuff of like yeah splashing blood on extras and and all this kind of stuff. Um, mm. it's weirdly got Katie Melua, uh, the singer songwriter, yeah. <laughs> in it for like. Three scenes again. It's one of those things where it's like trying to nail someone down for a cameo for a film thing is based on scheduling is quite difficult. Trying to do it on a day where you're like, we're kind of just doing a thing. Are you free? Yeah, yeah. Or I've always wanted to work with this person, and we happen to both be available. Fuck it. Yeah, it's very much got that feeling. Uh, and and yeah, the fact that it's got people like Jason Isaacs in it, who you're like, oh, he's even at that time it was quite like an established actor. Yeah, no, he was doing. He was probably. In Harry Potter he films Harry around Potter that point, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, um, and he just shows up and just looks, you know, at a house or a gate. Yeah, yeah, looks looks like the kind of character actor that you would get in a Hammer horror film. Yeah, being like, ah, oh, yes, he's the professor. He's he's the one who knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else is going to die. But he has um, a dark past, Tim. A dark yes, past. a dark past. <laughs> um, if you want to ask about it, Tim, don't. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I I think it's incredibly well constructed. Mm-hmm. You can tell it's a very Edgar Wright film, yeah, even though it's yeah. aping these other genres, which is obviously what he does a lot. Yeah. Um, and um, I think it's the best constructed of of the, the fake trailers oh, that you get. Definitely, I think they're all appealing to different types and tropes and things. I think Rob Zombie doing the werewolf woman of the SS is the the closest to what he's kind of did anyway. So mm. it's not really uh, you know, but a bit more campy. Um. I think Eli Roth did Thanksgiving, yes. which is a very more like a Black Christmas kind of yeah. thing, and it's very me. Yeah. It's fine, but it looked like a lot of money was behind it because they had the whole like you know float and mm. extras in costume and period dress. It's like that's yeah. that probably cost a lot of money. Whereas don't it's all period costume, not obviously location, but it still yeah. feels like it's evoking a period and a time and a thing. Yeah, I think they're all work really well together. But yeah. Yeah, that's a really good example. Yeah, Jack, we're back round to you. My second pick is a lot more serious, funnily enough. Similar to you, Tim. Mm. Uh, and also has ties to Grindhouse, interestingly enough. Oh, yes. Because <laughs> it's in a Tarantino film. It's in Inglorious Bastards. It is the German propaganda movie, basically. Yeah. Uh, Stolz der Nation, which is the... Daniel Brawl playing his character, uh, being like the hero German sniper side of things. Mm-hmm. And I find it particularly fascinating because because Nazi stuff is so taboo to even just like talk about and stuff in, in, in a lot of cases. I've never really like gone out of my way and watched like actual Nazi propaganda stuff outside oh, of Nation's like, Pride and things. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Outside of like Typical, I've seen a few Hitler speeches and stuff mm. as part of like history lessons and all that kind of stuff. We love talking about the war here in the UK. Mm. It's kind of unavoidable if you go to high school here and we always talk about World War Two. Yeah. But I find it really interesting that they have this kind of, yeah, this propaganda movie and the whole film, Inglorious Bastards, 
ends with this obviously this huge moment burning down the cinema and that whole thing and it's never a film i think about tied to filmmaking but it is a film about filmmaking in a kind of more subtle way unlike something like once upon a time in hollywood which is like ta-da it's all about the movies there is a a really interesting parallel between those two. Yeah. Because yeah. I really think Inglorious Bastards is one of Tarantino's best films. I agree. Yeah. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of his weakest. I agree again. Because um, de Nazione or Nation's Pride is very much a sort of triumph of the will, but not really the full. Mm. that many. It's just like the feeling. Because we also, like you'd have in America, Audie Murphy would come back from World War II and be in all these films playing soldiers. Because like, oh, it's a war hero. Yeah. You know, Goma Pyle, that kind of bullshit. Yeah. Mm. Um, but it's heightened and it's aggressive and it's it's doing this thing and it's very nonsense. And then you, you get the, it builds this ridiculous thing with the, you know, spoilers for Inglorious Bastards, Hitler and Goebbels and being assassinated, etc. Yeah. And it goes down well because of it. And then you also get the link into True Romance, which will come back to it separately. But oh, I don't even the the fourteen fists of McCluskey, I think it is, mm-hmm. where it's like who wanted fried sauerkraut? Yeah, yeah. With the, it's it's like. That's shouldn't be any different, except for the fact that that feels like a world in which people are watching Inglorious Bastards, whereas, um, as in the Rick Dalton films mm. from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes. Whereas Stolz de Nation, again, I think Eli Roth directed that. Yes, he did. The, yeah. It it's an there's an earnestness to it. It's shot straight. Yeah. And it's deadly serious, yeah. even mm. though it's hideously monstrous mm. and that's the point of that is that these yep. films did exist in real life and again like i said it, me coming from my british background it's not something i'm i've ever really like switched myself onto and never really thought about like you always hear they're like oh walt disney made nazi propaganda back in the day i was like mm. i've never seen any of it i've never gone out of mm. my way to watch like nazi propaganda stuff because mm. that's not really something i'm interested in but like <laughs> Your Google searches get really well, yeah, flagged. Um, yeah, even, even yeah, just by mm. that, like, it's taboo to be like, oh, yeah, I know loads about Nazi history. Mm. You get the, like, why? why? Yeah, mm. hold on. You're very white, Jack. Why do you know so much about Nazi <laughs> stuff? Like, um, especially you, Matt, being a tall, bald guy as well. I mean, just, like, yeah, it's true. lumped straight into that category. No offense. No, 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 um, I, I get it, I get it. And it's, like, this weird thing of, like, it, it kind of opened my eyes. Watching that film made me... Obviously, I knew Nazi propaganda stuff existed and they actually went out and, like you said, took real soldiers very much how we did in the 40s and mm. 50s and yep. chucked them in war movies and were like, mm. see, we're the heroes, everything's fine. And of course, from the other side of things, they're going, see, we're the heroes, everything's fine. Like, yeah. oh yeah, of course. Like, yeah. We'd have things like Mrs. Minerva and it was always like, you know, the idea that you'd have a, a romance would be our usual version. It's like, I've got to go over and fight Jetty. Oh, this girl all for war. If it only ever ended, we'd be together. I know it's bloody terrible, isn't it? <laughs> if only we. Just Sorry, didn't... American listeners. Well, we'll put, we'll put <laughs> subtitles on there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> old but then also, arguably, and this is where it gets big, not going to say controversial, but if it's state funded and it's all got an agenda and things, technically, one could say Casablanca is a propaganda movie. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. yeah. For the war effort, it's like, yeah. God, these two people would be together and in love if it wasn't for the <laughs> war. I'm going to join up right now. That's the motivation. That's the it's it's mm. not just about telling a story, it's incentivizing you to do something to take action. Mm. That's propaganda. And Stolz de Nation is like, we're gonna have the premiere of this thing just to say, kill more Americans, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the bit where that it's it's intercutting between 
the montage of him just like snipe, just killing the sniper kill. Yeah, yeah all yeah. of those, and and then like Hitler and Goebbels just kind of like laughing and mm-hmm. clapping at it. And then I think you get shots of him being like increasingly uncomfortable. Oh, he's like traumatized because PTSD yeah. of him remembering yeah. the murder. Yeah, is that is really quite disturbing to yep. watch. Um, mm. Are you? I presume you guys are familiar with the whole Quentin and Tarantino universe theory. Yes, absolutely. The, yeah. This is the true yeah. romance thing, isn't it? Uh, part of it, possibly. It's a shared universe of like, so the Kill Bill thing. The Kill Bill thing is the Fox Force Five from Pulp Fiction, and it's all like. They're films within films of each other. And obviously so, yes, got like the Vega brothers connecting yeah. those. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, so there's, there's the idea that certain films are essentially, there's the Quentin Tarantino universe. And then there's, and then the there's films, within, films those. within that. So yes. Kill Bill is a film. Yeah. Within the Pulp Fiction. W- yes. Which is so a layer, one, for Inception, Pulp Fiction is one layer deep. Kill Bill is two layers deep. Uh, yes, essentially. <laughs> and the idea that, that some of his films are, dealing with stuff that would happen in films but it gets almost kind of interrupted by real life in certain examples he he has a conversation or an interview at one point where he talks about how like you know he'd have a guy you know pull over a car you know you know that kind of classic thing of like a bank robber or whatever it's like you know stops a car with a gun and it's like oh get out the car i'm i'm stealing this car and then realizes that it's a um like a manual car rather than automatic and he only drives automatic it's like oh fuck yeah. Um, you know, and that kind of reality impinging and subverting, you know, cinematic traditions, whereas something like Kill Bill embraces them all because it's a film within that universe. Yeah. yeah. And then there's also an idea which is that they're all in a, or many of them are in a consistent universe. And the reason that that universe is so violent is because the, the sort of divergent point yeah. is the Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. And it's the, the fact that. Hitler got mowed down by a machine gun and then the cinema he was in burned Burned down and exploded Mm. is a much more violent... It serves how the the world would progress after that. How do you deal with dictators? You shoot them in the Yee-haw! face. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and so yeah. that has a ripple effect to society being yeah. so mm. much more violent. And, yeah. yeah. The other connection, just for a second, is the, is, is the True Romance one, which is a Tony Scott film, but it's written by, written by Tarantino. Tarantino. Yeah. And in it, uh, there is a producer called Lee Donowitz who had, did a film called uh, Coming Home in a Body Bag or something like that. Yeah. And as people said, do we think he's the descendant of like yes, Donowitz, the character played by Eli yes. Roth in English? Yeah. And it's like, oh, that who makes would, complete sense as well. It was meant to be Adam Sandler. Yeah, yeah. I still wish it was Adam Sandler. Yeah. That would have been so good. Was, that would have been so weird, but so good. It would have yeah. made... It, it, Adam Sandler always plays these very angry characters. Mm. Um... From from like the Bronx, or even the even in his funny stuff, there's oh, a weird like bubbling rage. Oh yeah, I'm always picking like, on him for being yeah. Jewish and for being it's small. It's why stuff like Punch Drunk Love, yeah, works. Yes. and uh, Uncut, Uncut Gems. Gems yeah. And, yeah, yeah. I think we, I think it would have been a really interesting thing to see because it's like, mm. oh yeah, the funny guy. Oh god, mm. him as the can, can if you had not known that casting, and I know I always talk about this, like we're in a world now where we know every single cast of every single movie and there's no surprises anymore. Yes. Unless you go like blackout. And I know mm. our friend Rich from Unequal Sequel tries mm. to do this and, and people do this quite a lot. Mm. Like, it's very hard, but you I, can. I yeah. don't want to know anything about this next movie. Can you imagine that moment where you hear the baseball bat on the wall <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, here comes the bear yeah. Jew. And it's fucking Adam Sandler. Would I would have lost my mind. Instead, I was like... Yeah, that's weird. Oh, Instead shit. of like yeah. Adam fucking Sandler. Oh my god, yeah. that would have been incredible. 
taken care of. We live in that universe, please. I think it's easier than we think to be disconnected and not and be surprised by those things. You just have to not be on Twitter. I was going to say, yeah, 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 I'm active on Twitter and Instagram. YouTube thumbnails is a fucker for me. I have I have gone like silent on Twitter, avoided Instagram and all that kind of stuff, especially for wrestling yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's happening in America, so there's a delay. Yeah. So like, events in another time zone. Yeah. So like it's all happened that night in America and I wake up to the news yeah. and I'll be like, well, I can't touch Twitter or Instagram because the first thing I want to see is like, so and so is the new world champion or whatever. Yeah. Or like, oh, there's multiple Spider-Men or whatever. Like, yeah. oh my God. And then I'll go to a YouTube thing and like, you won't believe so-and-so yeah. is this the thing or like big change. Oh my God. It's like, yeah. fuck off with your fucking headlines yeah. and thumbnails and yeah. stuff. And I've had it spoiled by like YouTube notifications before. Mm. Like, fuck's sake. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I've worked office jobs with people who are like, you know, like, oh, I watched that, that new Thor film last night on Disney Plus. I finally got around to it and it had, uh, had Hulk in it too. And I'm like, oh, I wish I'd, yeah, you, you like, could have that experience. Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. I, I mentioned this on the MCU special, and one of the guys from oh, Kind of yeah, Funny, yeah. his his fiance's, I think it's his fiance's sister, mm. is completely knows mm. knows as little about the MCU as you possibly can, mm. and then had that moment when T'Challa reveals himself as Black Panther, and I'm uh, like, how is that reveal? Yeah, like, <laughs> obviously, who the fuck else is it going to be? Yeah. But then, yeah, the helmet comes off Black Panther, and she's like, oh my god, it's him from the yeah. UN. Like, <laughs> Yeah. What? <laughs> like, and again, with the comic book thing and with like, you know, being swatched, switched on to movie stuff, mm. like hearing Adam Sandler in a Tarantino movie, that would spread like wildfire. Yeah. And there would be no way of avoiding that. But yeah. God, I wish I had gone in blind <laughs> and just had that moment. That would have been amazing. Oh, that would have been so cool. Yeah. That'd have been crazy. Yeah. Matt, over to you for your second pick, please, sir. So I've already kind of mentioned my next mm. pick. Subtly. Oh. By subtly, I mean directly. <laughs> um, and that is Stab. So I'm going, my two picks are both 90s. They are very 90s. Very yeah. 90s. Um, and I think it could be very autobiographical in the sense that I'm like, oh, this is because it's my life experience of it. That I'm, mm. I'm commenting from my own experiences as opposed to these are the best examples. Like, no, 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 these are my awakening examples. One being like, oh, wait, that isn't a real movie. And one that I know isn't a real movie, but has been saying different things. And that is the Stab franchise. If you're wondering yourself what the Stab franchise is, you haven't seen any of the Scream sequels. Hmm. So to date, there are... Particularly relevant with Scream 5 in cinemas as we record this. Precisely. I'm going to sidestep... Or Five Cream, as I like to call it. Five Cream. <laughs> um, there, are, there are technically five Scream films. And eight stab films. <laughs> <laughs> Love that already. Yeah. And I'm going to sidestep some uh, Scream 5 spoiler stuff, so don't worry. But stab stuff is never really that intrinsically linked to the film. It's hardly spoilers, right? For the film within a film. No, it's usually the film beforehand or the franchise yeah. in general. So uh, Scream comes out and it's already a huge meta commentary on the, uh, on the horror franchise, the yeah, slash franchise yeah. in general. How it, it's... it's playing with tropes and very self-aware, very, very, very nineties. And I adore Scream. I don't care what people say. I still think it's magnificent. <laughs> Scream 2 came out and there's not only this continuing meta commentary in the thing and so on and so forth. There's also how would the world exist when they take a horrible, awful killing that happened to people 
and they make a movie about it called Stab. Mm. And you're like, well, obviously, you know, you 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 franchise out the, how the killer dresses. The I know Ed Gein stuff is heightened through the yeah. Texas Chainsaw mm. Massacre, but if you think about all the the sort of contemporary stuff we have now with the Netflix documentaries mm. and things, there's not a lot of separation there. It's just direct, you know, almost documentary style biopics. It's gotten to the point with Netflix now that I will look at a thing and be like. A true crime documentary or is it a dramatization i'm not sure yeah and i'm watching it and i'm like i'm still not sure <laughs> oh there we go there's the like flashback footage or whatever yeah. like oh this is a real thing an interview with the police officer i'm like okay now it's true yeah, crime yeah, yeah. yeah that that line has become very very blurry these very days very much so and um scream has all been has been aware of that those changes and that general uh finger on the pulse kind of situation so it's always been ahead of its time in certain respects and in Stab, the, the, the film opens in a cinema, everyone has all the various costumes, and it's not just a version of, it's the exact replica of what's been used. You've got the fake mm -hmm. knives, and at a screening, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith's character is stabbed and killed, mm -hmm. and obviously her, her partner is as well. And it's fucked up. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, oh no, and it could be anybody here who's dressed mm -hmm. as, the, as, the, as the killer. Um, it's like as if, as if vampires were a real thing and they go to see a Dracula film and someone gets their blood sucked. I'm like, oh, well, mm. what did you think would you, happen? Are you referencing that scene in uh, Cinematic Masterpiece Blade Trinity when Dracula goes to the vampire store? Thank you, Tim. Tim, that's all I'm ever referencing. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is a subtle hint of that. <laughs> so, the because it's such a meta commentary, because it's so self-aware, Stab becomes a thing. Now, in fairness, Stab 1, which is seen in Scream 2, <clears> it shows you the events of the previous film with different actors. So rather than Skeet Ulrich, is played by um, Luke Wilson, mm. and Tori Spelling plays um, Sidney Prescott. Mm. And they, in the first film, they're like, guessing, who would you be played by in a movie of this, mm. these events? Um, and then they're like, actually, no, it's this individual. And Heather Graham plays... Um, isn't it Drew, Barrymore's, Drew Barrymore role? Drew Barrymore's yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's also it's a bit more sass, a bit more like lightning in the background. It's all a bit heightened as mm. a film would do the, the real events. Yeah. The, 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 the suspension and the, the, the tension and the murder is still there, but it's upped to this like very ridiculous level. Like, for example, I think she's going to have a shower at one point mm -hmm. and they want to see things and the, the, the bathrobe drops, you don't see anything, and it backs away and things, et cetera, et cetera. And about the, you know, again, a classic commentary on the gratuitous nature of horror films and as they did with the first film, but they can mm. deal with literally how the first film is part of that and perceived and making the same things and so on and so forth. But it doesn't do much. It doesn't really say much in terms of like actually groundbreaking things it's not already saying through the commentaries, through the just general discussions the, act, the characters are having. Then in the third film, they're making another film based on all of the different things again. And they're going to the set where it's being made and obviously certain people are consultants on the movie and it's very conflicting for them and so on and so forth. And the third one, I think, falls, is one of the weaker sequels. And um, it's all linked back to Sidney Prescott's mom and stuff and Hollywood and blah, blah, blah. That's so much more in the Hollywood wheel mm. that it doesn't work as well. Because it almost becomes more of just a satire of the movie industry. At that that's point. exactly it, yeah. The fourth one, however, <laughs> fascinatingly interesting opening in my opinion. Because it's really fucking confident. Yeah. It has three cold opens. And I, I actually really like Scream 4. I think Scream 4 is a really of its time kind of... Um, I think I got like a three out of five. It's not a good mm. film per se, but it's, a, <laughs> it's as good as these sequels can, can yeah. be. And it's talking about the, you know, the internet era and all that sort of stuff in 2011. And um, 
the opening film is, I believe, Stab 5, being watched by people who are, in fact, in Stab 6. Mm. And it races through, like, oh, this is Lucy Hale and someone else. And mm. this one's actually... Uh, I see. Kristen Bell's in one. Kristen Bell and I want to say oh maybe God. Anna Paquin or something like that. Some, yeah. Probably. And then, yeah, that's like, oh, Facebook killer. That's bullshit. That mm. kind of thing. And then, you know, what? I hate people who talk through the movies and stabs her in the gut. Yeah. Then it cuts to the real opening of, of Scream 4, basically. Yeah. And it's, it just keeps... that. It's to the point of absurdity. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Now... It's still making a commentary. It's still saying, in this universe, no one's ever going to stop making these movies. Yeah. And then you get to Scream 5. Or 5 Cream, as Jack has always said. <laughs> and well, Stab 8 is coming out. Except it's not called Stab 8. It's called Stab. <laughs> and, everyone's like, it is. and everyone's like, oh, God, call it Stab. That's confusing. God, yeah. Hall Halloween did the exact same fucking stupid thing. Yeah. Call it Stab 8. For God, we know what it yeah. is. And it's like this guy with like, a flamethrower and nunchucks and this, mm. this metal mask with the screen mask. It's like, mm. oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> Real fans demand X, Y, Z. And it's like, and I, f I felt myself saying, oh no. <laughs> I was saying the same thing about why you call it Scream and then <laughs> I'm still not wrong, but fuck you for saying it. This doesn't mean you're right in calling it Scream. That's the thing, yeah. yeah that's a, a classic kind of internal reference in jokey mm. thing of like, oh, you can't do that. You can't call mm. it Stab because you yeah. should be called the thing. It's mm. like, yeah, but you've done that. You you highlighting the fact yeah. that you've done that doesn't make it okay. You're just it's blackface and Tropic it, Thunder. Yeah, if, yeah. If they wanted to make it even more of a contemporary commentary, the film in the Stab Five should have just been called Ghostface. Yeah, exactly. It, it would be yeah. on the legacy of it all. Yeah. Um. So the way Screen Five deals with the Stab universe and how it's tied and played out and reboots and requels and all that sort of stuff and it's it's very it's very interesting. But it's equally just a mini review here. Scream 5 is also like Scream 3 in that it's like, yeah, sure. There are some really, really strong ideas here, some really good execution, but a lot of it is, um, isn't there. So for the opening of, of Scream 5, they're talking about elevated. It's like, oh, do you, you want to watch a scary, do you like scary mm. movies? Well, like what? Like, have you seen Stab? Mm. It's like, no, I like elevated horror. What's that? It's like, you know, Babadook, The Witch, that kind of stuff. Jordan Peele's a master. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's, it's like, no, 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 that, that, I'm not that shit. All the classics, you know. <laughs> Someone gets their guts pulled out, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, because it's making commentary on that. There are a place for all these things. Yeah. And it's, it's used as a vehicle to tell a story about the genre. It is a, we can commit all sins by mentioning it, which you definitely cannot. Mm -hmm. um, but I still think they're a fun tool to be used mm. in their arsenal to talk about where the industry is and where they are as a film and how they can exist mm. in that universe because as we said earlier about the relatability I watched the movie Scream I would have run around and I remember I remember when I was leaving um yeah fuck when I, when I left high school um about the year 2000 uh there were people who were dressing up on the final day of school and some kid got bollocked for wearing a scream outfit. It's oh, wow. a very easy thing to mm. get on the hold of the ghost face mask and things. Um, and Tim, you'd been in the school at the time. Mm. Um, but it was like the whole like last day of school, we can do whatever we want kind of thing. Yeah. It was been two years before Tim. Were you stabbed at high school, Tim? Is this where the story is? No, it was just told that Matt you can't dressed do that. up as Ghostface and stabbed. Because the nineties, I was I was the other guy who was also dressed up as Ghostface. Uh, oh, yeah. There's two killers. Yeah, there's always two. Oh my god. Who <laughs> so, would have guessed? So basically, um, it was more the idea that in the 90s, there's lots of like, you know, you can't be, the fear of emulation and all that bollocks and, you know, anyway, 
point point is it, it it felt even more relatable and more realistic you'd go to a film and you'd watch it and everyone would be running around in costume and having a great time the you know who wouldn't attend like an opening midnight screening of a fucking halloween movie and the five people dressed as michael myers slowly mm. took their heads and you're like all have, that you, sort of stuff. have you seen that? I think it's a TikTok or, or whatever video on the internet of the little girl yes. who's like three or four and it's her birthday yeah. and her parents have arranged for her favourite character to come and visit oh, her. Oh, yeah. And her favourite character is Michael, Michael Myers. Myers. Yeah. <laughs> and he just like stands over the other side of the street like yeah. he does in the films yeah. and she like runs over to him to give, her a, give him a hug. I love it, but I'm also like... That child should not be watching Halloween. Yes. I don't know where you get the reference. So if you make a clean edit of how you've shown that kid that film, a but also no, yeah. it's a TV movie version of. But there always is, is. This is the technical thing as well. Just to, to just to put it into parallel, Halloween was what forty years ago or so. Yep. Mm. And when I was a kid in the eighties and nineties, forty years prior would have been. The Universal Monsters, yeah, <laughs> which would have been just as dark and uh, you can't let your child watch Bride yeah. of Frankenstein. And you, you can go to, you know, you can go to your sci-fi and fantasy stores now and get action figures of Michael Myers yeah. and Jason and everything. It's, 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 it's the desensitization and how we move on to other more terrifying things. Again, it's not even usually the sense of like, you know, what's the big scary monster? Uh, depression and guilt in the form of this little goblin boy. Like, oh shit. Um. But yeah, so so stab the whole stab franchise is a really interesting meta commentary. Not always well utilized, but quite an, a, a, a persistent thing. Well, I think is mostly for good. Mm -hmm. Tim, what is uh, the last pick to close us off here? So I had two things that I was wavering between which one I was going to cover, mm -hmm. and they both connect to Don't, my previous film, mm -hmm. um, in interesting ways, and they are they're very similar films. The one I'm not going to discuss in too much detail. Uh, Doing a matter, are you, Tim? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you guys and your fucking honourable mentions. <laughs> um, I have two picks and I stick to my two picks. Yeah. Fucking meat and potatoes. Going, I mean, my meat. Tropic Thunder one was like six. So that's fine. Yeah. Good point! <laughs> <laughs> Matt just had eight with stabs. That's you know. true. That, that's also Hold true. Hold on, yeah. Hey, you <laughs> Even when I did like a mat and did six, you still did more. I love that we were like putting masks off like, yeah. but it was me all along. <laughs> it was me, Jack. It was me all along. Um, so uh, the film within the film is, is called Don't Go Into the Church. Referencing, don't. Yep. Uh, in the in the actual film, censor, uh, which mm. came out last year. Yeah. Um, which I have no idea what this is, listeners. By the way, I've not seen censor. Um, so censor is about a woman who works for the BBFC in during the video nasty era. Mm. Um, and it's essentially her job to watch all of these disturbing horror films and decide what bits have to be cut out. What films get just flat out rejected right yep um and she is working on these films and she's also dealing with some like trauma that happened to her when she was younger and the pressure of working on them and various other events in the films gets to her and her ability to distinguish between real life and the films starts to break down basically yeah to give you a summary of the film cool mm. The actual film I'm going to discuss is Il Vortice Equestre, or The Equestrian Vortex, 
Horse movie, right? Yeah, yeah. horse movie. Horse yeah. movie. Uh, as oh, wait, featured no. in uh, Barbarian Sound Studio, uh, which is a 2012 film uh, starring uh, Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Mm, yes. Um, which, again, connected uh, to, to Don't and to uh, Censor mm. is a film about a sound technician. Uh, who travels to Italy, is brought over to Italy to work on a giallo film. And he is essentially a, a Foley artist and a sound recordist. Mm. Um, so he's getting uh, sort of ADR recordings of, of women in booths who are just screaming into it or, yep. or doing like weird Latin chants. And he's mm. also recording stuff like... Um, uh, watermelons being stabbed over yeah. and over again. Yep. Um, him stabbing cabbages and then sta- yeah. yes, Her, yeah. the, the, one one guy hold, holding a cabbage violently under a big tank of water yes. to <laughs> imitate a drowning, and then there's another guy who's got a glass of water with a straw into it that's doing the bubbles, bubbles. of the <laughs> of the the person you know trying mm. to breathe. And as um, we covered in our Giallo episode with Mother of Tears and stuff, mm. almost all of Italian movies, whether it's which is referenced in fucking like uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and things, yeah. and obviously all this stuff like the Sergio Leone spaghetti westerns and things, all dubbed, all yes. completely dubbed. So you yeah. have the performance, and you're like, now we need to do all the sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, so these are so these are both films that are in, interested in the kind of the slightly less seen elements of filmmaking. If you, I mean, classification isn't really filmmaking, but it's part of the film production yeah, process. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and something that doesn't get talked about enough, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to allude to the fact that there are films being reviewed or shot or whatever it is mm. they're still being shown. So you have to then create something that's going to be yes. illustrated. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so in in the case of Barbarian Sound Studio, you never you see the opening credits of the Equestrian Vortex. Uh you never see any more of the film. You just see Toby Jones and, and other people looking at screens that you can't see while they're doing the sound work for the <laughs> film. Um, and again, it is one of these films. I think I've realized that my preferred genre, subgenre of horror is p- protagonist slowly goes insane and then the last 20 minutes are buck wild. I, I, I just want to, I really need to jump in here. Tim is not underselling that. <laughs> <laughs> The the film is like oh I've come over to do the sound for your movie and mm. it's like it's it's a it's just a horror film it's not a horror film it's yes. not horror don't call it horror but yes but it's a it's a Santini film and, and yeah Toby Jones originally thinks it's about horses horses yeah it's like no it's set at a right it's it's very clearly a Suspiria reference it's like oh Fair these right young so. young girls at a riding school yeah. uh, and but also there's a witch yeah exactly <laughs> and then by the end of it. It cuts in at one point, I won't spoil too much, but with a documentary about Sussex or Surrey or something. Yeah. And he's got a letter from his mum about chicks being torn apart by magpies. There's a lot of weird shit. And you go, yeah. I don't really know what I'm watching anymore. Yes. And it's it's a, it's a film that divides a lot of people, I think. Mm. Just in terms of like, you know, we haven't really talked about the quality of these movies, but they're all good in mm. their respect. Um, but as Tim said, the, you don't see a lot of the film. You just... Uh, it's like, you see Toby Jones watching it quietly. What's, yeah. what's he doing to her there? What's happening? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah. And you have to just, your imagination plays wild with the whole thing. But then yeah. when it goes off the chain in terms of what you're actually watching, the narrative you're following, you're already so lost. You're like, I don't fucking know anymore. Yeah. 
Um, so yes, so uh, working on this film, and there's clearly stuff that, like Toby Jones' character is kind of a, a Gilderoy, he's called. Um, is there's sort of implications that maybe something, you know, has happened to him, or is it he's slightly strange, and then one of the actresses reveals that she was kind of um, molested or abused by the director right, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that, and the 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 people he's surrounded by people who are don't speak you know speaking mostly in italian which he doesn't speak um until the end when it gets weird when it's <laughs> not actually him or maybe it is um uh, he thinks he can speak italian and it's like <laughs> yep that's the thing um and so and 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 it's the the, the people of a very odd to him and kind of don't, don't treat him well and and are increasingly like rude and aggressive to him um and each other and each other, yes, yeah. and and just kind of horrible to each other. Um, there's a whole running thing about how he's trying to get his plane ticket reimbursed. <laughs> yes, um, with this like very dismissive receptionist, and then you know at a certain point he kind of the the kind of the turning point of the film. Not to get too far into spoilers, but he's he's basically on the phone, and the finance guy is like, "Well, we went, we spoke to the airline. There's." No film, uh, no flights flew from London to yeah to Italy that day. So I don't know where, like, I don't know what you flew yeah. on, but it doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the classic. My world is madness. Yeah, uh, and then it all just goes bonkers at the end. Um, yeah, but yeah. So it's a, it's a really fascinating, and you you literally you get to see the charts, you get to see the old technology that they would use, and the, the not just in terms of how Foley artists use, you know, weird stuff to, you know, okay, like I'm going to get this vegetable stew going because that's what's going to be the bubbling witch's cauldron and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. But also, um, you know, the, the, the old sound recording technology, it's all, you know, pre-digital sound recording and stuff like that. You get to see the charts that they, the, you know, they map out to be like, okay, the, these scenes, these are going to be the sound effects that we need and this is what has got to be edited and all this kind of stuff. So it's a really fascinating look at that period of film production while also being this very compelling just descent into madness. And and mm. a bit like Censor, it's about how films can affect you, but also ultimately at the end of the day, the thing that the only reason that they're going to affect you in that way in the kind of and now you're mad or now you're a murderer kind of thing is if you go in with something already dark at the center of you yeah the films didn't make you crazy they just yeah, brought it out of you exactly yeah. um uh, yeah i i really liked it i really liked the 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 kind of craziness of the ending um and the the very kind of meta narrative reference sort of self-referential kind yeah. of loop that it falls into at the end. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's a very just kind of bleak. There's, there's a kind of melancholy to it as well, I think mm -hmm. at the end yeah. uh, and throughout. Um, and Toby Jones is great in it. Um, he, I think he's a really underrated actor, mm. you know, kind of character actor type, I agree. type figure. I agree. Um, and at the heart of it all is this film you don't see. Is it yes, exactly, and you never actually see it. You just see them working hard on it and it witnessing the effect that it has mm. on these people. The consuming nature of filmmaking while making a movie. Yes. Yeah, weird. 
Yes. And having known, you know, some very mad filmmakers in my time. Why are you looking at me, Tim? <laughs> uh, I imagine why. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, I, I, could, I could relate. <laughs> yeah, we've had a moment where I, I, I've uh, asked Tim to slip off his shoes so oh. I can slide them over the side of a uh, car park yes. to do a POV shot of him before he jumps off the car park roof. Yep. But it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me, me filming me getting ready to jump off a roof while Matt was just terrified because he has a problem with heights. Yeah. You're not great with heights. <laughs> no, that's why I wrote yeah. it. But we're still, <laughs> but we're still leaning over the edge Lean to film. Yeah. It's like the shot will be look good. I'll put myself through my own fears because it'll be fine. Oh, Jesus. And also don't drop, drop the camera. Yeah. All this kind of stuff. I feel like. We can't transition from anything else, so I've got to wrap up the episode, right? Yeah. Matt confronting his fears as a filmmaker mm. ties into everything. My fears as a filmmaker is I'm just not funny. I keep doing these action films and I'm not funny. I know what I'll do, which is literally the Tropic Thunder thing. Yep. <laughs> Pretty much. Have you ever done a film within a film, Matt? I just think I'm genuinely thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Is there anything, little sneaky references to Super Happy Kill Time or anything? Or um, I feel like that would be the one where it would would potentially that's happen. the obvious choice yeah right? that feels yeah. like the obvious choice doesn't it i can't um, imagine a film within a film for like titan's eagle or anything no no, no available on youtube piece, no. by the way <laughs> no listeners. thank you yeah um no no i don't think so i don't think so uh well maybe you should but I then we can talk about oh your... no i have <gasps> technically oh but it hasn't out yet sorry well on that note thank you patrons for supporting thank you for listening i hope you enjoy these bonus episodes and we'll be back later on in the end season with some more bonus stuff to look forward to. Like I said, it's a really interesting topic. They're the ones where I'm like, oh yeah, that's a Patreon episode. I forgot about that. So yeah, good stuff coming up soon mm. on your Patreon feed. So stay tuned. And thanks for your support. Good night. Thanks. Good night. Good night. Good night.